Yo, listen up, here's the story about a little guy that lives in a blue world. And all day and all night, and everything he sees is just blue, like him inside and outside. Blue his house with a blue little window and a blue corvette, and everything is blue for him and himself and everybody around, cause he ain't got nobody to listen to. Hi, welcome to MCU Complete Me. It's the podcast where we talk about the Marvel movies. I'm Crystal, and with me is Luke. You hit me in high. <laughs> you do that every time, it always catches me off guard. <laughs> I would think it would stop at some point. Uh, Luke, what's up? Uh, not a lot. It's been a little while since we recorded one of these. There's going to be no break in the... In the release schedule, because we've been very diligent about getting a good buffer going, but yeah, I don't. It's been at least what two, three weeks. It's been, it's been, a, it's been a while. It's, it has been a while, like that song by Stained. Yeah, but uh, you know, I did in the meantime. What'd you do in the meantime? I watched Iron Man three. You did watch. You also watched Ant Man and the Wasp, which came out. I did see Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah, how how was it? Do you want to know my feelings about that film? Y- yeah, sure. You give us the quick version. Pretty good. Eh, pretty good. You heard it here first. You'll hear it some more in, you know, a year or so when we get around to that one. How did you feel about... Tell me a little about your history with Iron Man 3. Um, I... Okay, so I saw The Avengers on Netflix after it came out, and I was like, oh, that one was pretty good. Um, and then Iron Man 3 came out, and I think my reaction was, on average, I don't really like these Marvel movies, and I really don't like the Iron Man movies. I'm gonna skip it. And, uh... I remember seeing people talk about it a lot when it came out. Um, there was a lot of people that were very, like, excited about the twist to the point where, especially because I wasn't that cautious about it because I didn't really care. I did find out about the twist, like, at the time. Um, and I was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting idea. Uh, but I never really had any interest in watching it. And uh, then I watched it for this podcast, this like, yesterday. Uh, I remember after the Avengers, I was pretty deep all in on the MCU, and I was very excited for this film. Yeah. And I ended up, uh, watching a cam rip of it on my telephone before I saw it in theaters, because I couldn't wait. Great. Good. (laughs) I liked it a lot. I think it's, I thought it was the best Iron Man film. I think I would still say it's the best Iron Man film. Yeah, I think I agree. I think I agree it's the best one. Okay. It's definitely better than two. Are we going to agree seven times? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think it's definitely better than two. I think it is more interesting than one. Okay, what does that mean? I think it has a lot of good ideas for what an Iron Man 3 should be. I like a lot of uh, the pieces of this movie. I'm not totally sure. I'm actually not super sure where I come down on this movie yet. I think, you know, in discussing it with you, I will figure out my thoughts a little more clearly. Um, Because I'm not sure if all those pieces quite come together into a whole that I really like. I certainly think this film has flaws. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I guess we should, we're good to just spoil it, right? We're about to talk about all of it. Uh, the, yeah. The businessman's the real Mandarin. Right. Uh, 
I think that Tony Stark has the best character arc that he's had in any of these movies so far. Yes. Um, I like that they are trying to, even though the Marvel movies are getting more and more fantastical with every entry, they are trying to stay grounded in how like he's reacting to all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I think turning into a nervous wreck racked with PTSD makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, I don't know if like, like, okay, I think the idea of a plot where Tony is traumatized by the events of the Avengers is a cool idea. I think the idea of a bad guy in Iron Man who is like manipulating the US government by creating like a fake terrorist to like, like become the, the head of the military industrial complex is a really good idea. And I think all the romance stuff with Pepper is really good. I'm not sure if it all dovetails into one good cohesive whole where like every piece complements every other piece. You know what I mean? I see what you mean. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I talked pretty highly about Thor where like the plot of Thor is about, you know, Loki and Thor fighting over, you know, Asgard and all this shit. And then Thor's character arc is about learning humility and, you know, what it means to be like an actual hero and leader. And then those plots dovetail because, you know, in this really good, solid moment where Thor puts the hammer on top of Loki to pin him down. There's no like, there's no hammer for Tony to put down on top of, uh, what's his name? The, the fireman. What is his name? Fing Fang Foo. Oh, is that his bad guy name in the comics? Uh, he appears to be inspired by the character Fing Fang Foo. Oh, okay, okay. Now, this this com- this movie also has the Iron Patriot, and I'm not super comics literate, but Iron Patriot's a bad guy in Iron Man, right? Yes, Iron okay. Patriot is Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin. Uh, okay, see, I thought this guy was Iron Patriot in the comics, and that's why the Iron Patriot was in this movie, even though they're not really linked directly. Okay, okay. Um, okay, so this guy is not, he's maybe inspired by some comics bad guys, but is not directly based on any of them in the way that, it seems like Iron Man's doing that a lot. Like, the bad guy in 2 is kind of Whiplash, but not totally. He's got whips, but he's not necessarily the same character as Whiplash. No, Aldrich Killian is a, is a minor character in the comics. I see. And then they lied about him being a minor character in this movie. Okay, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, that that was one that was like, they just straight up lied in interviews. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard people say, like, this movie's not worth watching if you know the twist in advance, and I don't think that's true. No. That's a... No, come on. That's a I remember, silly take. Uh, one, a lot of people were put off by the Mandarin thing. Uh-huh. And I remember, too, a lot of people were put off by the fact that, like, this is just a solo Iron Man movie. Uh-huh. And, like, there's no cameos by any other characters. Wow, okay. Which is something they they definitely wouldn't do anymore today. Like, all of the other yeah. third movies are highly connected. But I like that this is just Iron Man 3. Yeah, I do, too. Especially, you know, they did Iron Man 1 and 2. I think you said that Jon Favreau originally conceived this as a trilogy, even though he didn't direct this movie, which I was surprised to see. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this movie is directed by Shane Black. Yes, it was. It's a very, uh, Shane Blacky film. What else has Shane Black directed? Because I know that name, but I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of what else he's done. He, other things he has directed include the film Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Okay, I have not seen that, but I've heard of it. The Nice Guys, which is basically the same movie as Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. All right. He is directing the upcoming film The Predator. Okay, okay. He is best known as the screenwriter for many, uh, like, 80s and 90s action films such as Lethal Weapon and Last Action Hero. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was an actor in The Hunt for Red October. Yes, he was an actor in Predator. Oh, he was he was in RoboCop 3. All right. He was in RoboCop 3, yes. Okay. 
Um, I am looking through the movies he has directed. Let's see. Have not seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Have not seen Edge. Have not seen The Nice Guys. No, I have not. This is the only Shane Black movie I have seen. Uh, I have watched Last Action Hero when I was a kid and he wrote that. So that's something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Most of the movies he writes are Christmas films, as is this one. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to have that fight. So sure. Yeah. It takes place at Christmas. Oh, okay. Let me clarify, because I agree. I don't want to have that discussion either. Okay. Most of the films he writes are set during Christmas. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it is definitely set over Christmas time. And it is written like a Shane Black action movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely, I, I could tell right away that it felt a little different style wise. Like the way, that, I guess let's just get into it. Cause this movie opens in a way that I don't think any of the other movies have like done. This felt different for a Marvel movie where it's like just a black screen with Tony doing a voiceover and then it cuts to like a bunch of Iron Man suits in like cases that are exploding. And it's like, wow, okay, this is some cool visuals. This is the only Marvel film that's told like as a story of the past okay yeah 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 um yeah i don't know it just immediately felt like okay you're you're changing things up stylistically which this is also the first phase two marvel movie so that was kind of like okay all right maybe we're getting into some new stuff here um which i i forget if we really what was their gpa in the first semester of the mcu it was a 2.667 a solid b minus okay yeah that sounds about right they, yeah, they, they were mostly kind of right down the middle of the plate. One or two good ones, one or two really bad ones, and then one or two average ones. We didn't, we, the worst one they had was the Incredible Hulk, which is a solid C. Uh, yeah, I guess really bad is, is a little harsh to say for C, but yeah. No, yeah, like most of them were Bs. That's good. Yeah, most of them were in the B range. Uh, I think, I think what? Hulk was C, Iron Man 2 was C plus. Yeah, so like two three star films and four four star films. Yeah, I still don't, man. I still don't know if that's the right choice for Iron Man two, but I don't know. I don't know about Iron Man two anymore. That movie's oh yeah. Well, just that movie is really bad, but also uh, Justin Hammer and Whiplash are very good, and I don't know how to. Yeah, just watch some of those Anton Vanko Justin Hammer scenes. Just just do a super cut of all their scenes together and like leave the rest of the movie on the table. And then it's an A+. Mm-hmm. That's the best movie they've ever made. Yes. That was one thing I'll say. I mean, we'll, we'll get into it as we go here. The entire time I was watching this movie, I was thinking, oh, man, this would be so much better if the bad guy was Justin Hammer. But, you know, unfortunately, it's not. Uh, but yeah, so Tony is giving this speech about how we all create our own demons and uh, he created his back in 1999, which is where we're flashing back to. And as we flash back to oh, right. it, it does start playing <laughs> I'm Blue, Dabba Dee Dabba Die yes. by uh, Eiffel 65. Right. We get this very dramatic, uh, you know, we all create our own demons. I don't know who said that, but it was someone famous. Mm. Oh, we should go back to the beginning. As we're watching, like, just shots of Iron Man suits exploding. I think silently. And then it cuts to, I'm blue, dabba dee, dabba die. <laughs> it's... That was a great impression, Luke. Yeah, I'm very good at impressions of Eiffel 65 songs. <laughs> it's one of my many talents. So Tony Stark is at a New Year's party in Bern, and he gave, just gave a great speech that was edifying but unintelligible. And Ho Yinsen comes up to him to introduce himself. Yeah. As he said he did back in the first movie. Right. And uh, he introduces him to the special honor guest, Dr. Wu. Yes. How do you feel about Dr. Wu? The important character, Dr. <laughs> Wu. 
<laughs> he doesn't even have a line, does he? Do you know the story behind Dr. Wu? No, I don't. Tell me. So are you aware of the Chinese cut of Iron Man 3? Uh, no, I'm not. I really don't know anything about this movie. Yeah, so this, I think this was one of the first movies made after, like, China started taking in more blockbuster Hollywood films. Okay, okay. And uh, they filmed a bunch of scenes set in China starring, like, famous Chinese actors. Oh, wow. Including Dr. Wu and some other people. Uh-huh. There were scenes of, like, Iron Man in China talking to a Chinese politician. He's like, all the children of China support you, Tony Stark, as all the children of China like celebrate in front of him yeah <laughs> and, yeah and there was a whole subplot with dr Wu. huh but he's in this movie for three seconds right yeah he does not have a line of dialogue like at least Yinsen introduces him and tony talks about how much he's about to go fuck this woman he's with he has a little like it's new year's <laughs> eve so he's got a little like party noisemaker thing and he just kind of blows on it to as a euphemism for sex She's going to need a cardiologist after I honk. Right. Yes, that's his line. (laughs) God. They do find a way every movie to like have some bits of Tony being a fun womanizer while also talking about how he's not that person anymore. Uh, Yeah, they do do that. Yeah. But he gets approached by I have already forgotten his name because I don't like this bad guy that much. Aldrich Killian. Aldrich Killian, who, uh, you you know, Tony, you know, is like, he's into science, but you know, he's cool because he has a nice haircut and a goatee. This guy's got really messy hair. So you know that he's like, you know, he's a nerd. This guy's got big old dork glasses. So like, he's not a cool scientist like Tony Stark is. Now, one of the aspects of this film that I only really started paying attention to during this watching of it and not during previous years long ago watchings of uh-huh. it uh, is the way that this movie treats disability yeah i'm not hmm. hmm i'm not entirely sure what to think of how this movie treats disability no i'm not entirely sure uh either yeah so aldrich killian um has like a limp and he walks with a cane um and uh it's just kind of you know an aspect of like it's just a thing that is true about him in this scene i do feel like they are working very hard to make him contrast with tony stark and uh, i feel like they're having him play up a limp to make him look weaker compared to tony stark in a way that i'm like eh, i don't know if that's hmm like everything about him just seems like oh he likes science but he sucks don't worry about him you know what i mean his teeth suck his hair sucks i don't know uh, but he, yeah. he is talking, he is trying to sell Tony on his new think tank that he started, Advanced Idea Mechanics. Yeah, or AIM. And like, Happy's trying to block him from getting in the elevator, but he shoves his way in anyway. Happy, who by the way is wearing like a bolo tie with a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's very good. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Um, but yeah, he is talking, he's just giving a lot of like generic, like, uh, startup speak about how he wants to get on the ground floor of this new think tank and get Tony Stark involved in it. And also, uh, I'm, if you have not learned this yet from the last, you know, however many episodes, I'm terrible at remembering character names. What's this woman's name? Maya Hansen. Maya Hansen. Yeah. He also wants her, um, because we're going to learn she is like a genius, like botanist. And he gives them both cards, but Tony just has her take both of them. You know, one to throw away and one not to call. He's funny. And uh, 
Everyone files out of the elevator, but Tony stops Aldrich and tells him that he's just going to wrap things up here. And he actually is very interested in this proposal. Meet him on the roof in 15 minutes. Because mm-hmm. Tony and Tony's not like he's just going to ditch him there because he's not a very nice man. No, he's a, a mean boy. Yeah. And what's OK. So this movie starts off with like, I think almost the first line of the movie is Tony saying we create our own demons. And what he's get like what he means is that he bullied this man and it would like led to the events of this movie. Right. Right. And that's fine. Like by all means, like show that like him being a shitbag had bad consequences and like hurt people. You should do that, and you should have him have to face that. But again, when we're coming off of Iron Man 2, where he privatized world peace, I do think he probably has bigger demons to worry about creating than that time he was mean to some nerd. You know? Well, it's just one example. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They're also, yeah, there's also the own demons of, like, he made the missile, and then the missile done blew up his heart. Yeah, I guess so. Put some shrapnel in there. Right, right. There's the there's the Ultron demon that's coming. This is like a recurring theme of Tony. I guess you know what you do have a valid point there. Yes, but I, I guess I, I'm looking just at this movie. But you're right that it, it can also be invoking yeah the the missile from one and all that stuff. Um, also like he he has long exacerbated American participation in the war on terror, which then comes back here. Again. Right. I mean, he won the war on terror, but I guess while he was busy fighting, you know, Loki, it came back. So he took his he yeah, took his eyes right. off it for one second, and all of a sudden, right back to where it was. Um, yeah, no, they did just kind of drop that. Huh? Yeah, uh huh. But uh, he is in Maya Hansen's room where she is showing him her research, where she has learned to like basically hack into the part of the brain that releases like healing hormones. I guess. Well, it's a part of the cell because it's doing it on plants. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I've got it frozen right now on a screen of of a human brain. But you're right. Yeah. Um. The, she's basically talking. No, she does say brain, which doesn't make sense because she's is doing it on plants. Right. Um. But uh. Okay. And Happy's playing with the plant. Yes. And Mike's like, please don't touch the plant. Like I'm trying to do sensitive science stuff here. Please don't get your dirty hands all over the plant. Now, to be fair, that is not what she says. She does not say she's trying to do delicate science on this planet. She says, please don't touch the plant. It's not she doesn't like it. She prefers. And then Tony cuts her off and tells her to stop. If she had described what might happen if he touches the plant, then he might not do what he's about to do, which is wait until he's alone with the plant and rip some leaves off of it out of spite. What a fucking asshole. He's a bit of an asshole, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> just don't. She's just asking you, please do not touch my science plane. She's going to rip off some leaves. Right. Happy always feels like he knows that he is the dumbest man in the room and he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he sure proved it. Uh, so, yeah, they go into her bedroom and, uh, you know, they're just chatting up and they start smooching. And then all of a sudden the plant explodes in the other room because it regenerated the leaves that Happy tore off. But then something went crazy and it totally blew up. And uh, Happy, like, yeah, it's a glitch. Yeah. Happy tackles Tony to, like, pin him down because he thinks Y2K has started. Uh, and they have to explain, no, 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 this is a glitch in her healing system. And, like, why this is still in, like, a developmental phase because she can't figure out how to make things not explode when they heal. 
Uh, my favorite part of the scene, which is just a slight continuity error, uh-huh. but I like to interpret it differently, is when Happy is like closing the door and like yeah. gives as they start kissing, Happy closes the door and like gives a nod at Tony. <laughs> I see what you're and saying. Then the yeah. next shot, the door is like slightly wider. <laughs> yeah, it got wider. So you're saying that's not a continuity error. Happy acted like he was closing the door, but actually was leaving it open so he could watch. Yes. <laughs> that's what Happy gets out of this. <laughs> I'm with you. I like this. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so my explain this is extremis is we're going to use it so humans can regenerate. This will change the world. Right. Project extremis, which is not a scary name. Don't worry about it. No, it isn't. Is it not? It's not like Wait, you wouldn't take uh, a vial labeled extremis. Um, if I just saw a vial laying around that had extremis written on it. No, I don't think I would. That does sound like but a like, supervillain like potion. Doctor, like, like if a doctor prescribed right, I was saying, If you. I saw a commercial for like, Extremis might not be right for you. Consult your doctor before trying Extremis. Possible side effects may include exploding, breathing fire, getting way too hot, burning everything you touch, and death. Then, yeah, you know, I mean, that still sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> still don't know if I'd take it. <laughs> okay. Well, so it's the new year, fireworks start going off. Yeah. And Maya and Tony start having the sex. Right. And then it cuts to Aldrich Killian on the roof, all alone. Yeah, he's and exactly. he's waiting for Tony to come, and he's checking his watch. Right. But Tony's not coming. Right. And we're going to learn later in the movie that as he stood oh. up there waiting, he thinks about just jumping off the roof because he got bullied by yes. the cool guy. Which, you know, yeah, uh-huh. it's a bummer. And Tony writes a note for Maya Hansen and then leaves. Yeah, on one side of the note. Do we see both sides of the note at this point? We don't see the other side of the note, but yeah. on one side of the note, he says, you know who I am. Right. And then, yeah, we, we'll find out later on the back of that note, he wrote a math equation that will solve the exploding glitch. Right. The the new Telomerase algorithm. Yeah. That I guess she just never figures out how to decode. She's a new algorithm for the Telomerase. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then uh, we're cutting back to present day. And is this Tony in his, his garage? Yeah. And Tony explains... Yeah, he's he's not like that anymore. He's uh, he's a cool guy now. Right, he's a superhero, like an actual cool guy, not a shitty cool guy. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a superman. <laughs> right, he's one of those Ubermen, and he's got even newer technology. Yeah, he's sitting in his garage. There's a Christmas tree in there, so you know what time of year it is. Um, the dumb uh, robot arm, which the subtitles have told me is actually named Dumb Hyphen E, is wearing a dunce cap. And uh, Tony has some kind mm-hmm. of, like, injector gun, and he's, like, going up and down his arms, injecting, like, mag- like nodes of some kind all throughout his body. Uh, and, like, Jarvis is trying to tell him, like, hey, maybe don't inject a million things into your body all at once. And Tony's just, nah, I'm good. Don't worry about it, bud. Uh, another small continuity error in this is that the robot holding the camera, from the camera perspective, it says it is recording in 16 by 9 aspect ratio, mm. but it is clearly wider. Damn. Hey, incidentally, uh, I downloaded, I rented this movie through iTunes because I didn't want to, I wanted to, you know, support the Amazon mm-hmm. boycott and not rent it from there. Uh, the iTunes player uh-huh. sucks. It is completely frozen on me while I'm trying to scrub through the movie. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, that's fun. Oh. <laughs> Fuck iTunes, I guess. Anyway, yeah, Tony gets up and is, uh, ready to try out this new Iron Man technology he's invented. Uh. This is my favorite of the Iron Man upgrades. It, it's pretty cool. 
It is so cool because, yeah. like, he's yeah, he's got a new like modular suit, and he can using the chips in his arm telepathically control each of the individual pieces. Yeah, yeah, he's like like shooting his arms out to try and like beckon to them. And at first, it's not working, and they like wiggle a little, and they start like flying onto him, and then they start flying way too fast, and are like running a risk of like wounding him. They're like whizzing past him and breaking shit behind him. Uh, but he eventually kind of gets it working. He technically gets suited up, you know, but it definitely looks like this is not ready yet. Yeah. Jarvis mentions that he has been awake for nearly 72 hours. Yeah. And that's going to be like a running thing Which in this is, movie. Which uh, is longer than you're supposed to be awake. That's longer than you're supposed to be awake. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think Tony, I think Robert Downey Jr. does a pretty good job of playing a person who's severely sleep deprived. I don't think he does like good sleep deprivation makeup though. Like he should have like huge bags under his bloodshot red eyes, you know? I guess they don't want He's on a lot of drugs. Yeah, I was gonna say I guess I guess they don't think it's a good idea for their main superhero lead to not look handsome throughout the entire movie. <laughs> to look like he looks like shit. I guess that might not be a good creative choice. <laughs> yeah. I'd like it, but I understand why you wouldn't. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, and he gets almost all the pieces on, but he doesn't have the butt plate on. So then the butt plate hits him from behind and knocks all the pieces off and slams his face onto the floor. Yeah, uh, yes, all happens. You're accurate. This is a fun little scene. It's a good like. Um, it recalls yeah. like the parts of Iron Man One where he's just dicking around in his garage. And it's, it starts the good running joke of the suit constantly breaking and falling. Well, that's the apart. thing. Like this is the coolest idea for a suit, but this suit sucks. Because he doesn't ever get the chance to, like, work out the bugs in it before all the action starts happening. No, because he won't sleep. And he's, like, got brain problems that he won't go to a professional about. Yes, both true. Like, he's not actually in a good engineering state of mind. Right. But he's smart enough that he can, like, barely get away with it. He kind of brute force it, but not all the way. Uh, But then it suddenly cuts to a color bar test screen with the 12 rings printed on it. This is a cool logo for a bad guy. I'll say that about this. It looks cool. And um, it does, it kind of goes back to some of the Iron Man 1 stuff where it is invoking a lot of Islamic terrorist videos. There's no like guy in a cave with a bag on his head, I don't think. Although there, well, there's a guy on the floor about to get shot in one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we get our first exposure to the Mandarin, and uh, he's got a very good voice is the thing. Ben Kingsley does a very good job of playing the Mandarin. Yeah, it is. He's like, some people call me a terrorist, but I'm just trying to teach America a lesson. It's a really good voice. Have you seen the uh, short film All Hail the King? I have not. It is a sequel to this movie, okay. about 14 minutes long, okay. starring uh, the character that Ben Kingsley is playing in prison. Oh, like like the, the character of the Mandarin? No, no, the character of Trevor Slattery. Oh, 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 okay. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's him in prison. I see. It's very good. Yeah. I will say, I you have to do it this way to, like, make the twist, like, punch. I really fucking hate Trevor Slattery. Really? I find him very obnoxious. Oh, uh, I think he's so good. I think it's appropriate that he's obnoxious, but I do think it uh, maybe goes a little, like, maybe it should have been at, like, an eight, and it goes to a nine, and I'm like, ugh, too much. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we... So, yeah, he explains he's, he's hijacking the airwaves. Yeah. 
And he's telling this story about how in 1864, uh, the U.S. military uh, killed a bunch of Native Americans. And now he's going to do that to them in their airbase in Kuwait. Right. So we get this kind of recurring thing throughout this movie where, like, a disaster will strike and then the Mandarin hijacks all of uh, the United States' airwaves and, like, does, like, a history lesson about some massacre the United States did and how they're... You know, the United States is evil, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Do we want to... I mean, we've already talked about what the twist of this is. Do we want to, like, talk about it now or when the reveal happens? Yeah, so the twist is that the Mandarin is a constructed character. Right. And uh, he he is played by the in-universe actor of Trevor Slattery. Right. And he's being used to cover up uh, the unplanned extremist explosions. Right. So the idea is that Aldrich Killian has bought up the rights to extremists and is trying to perfect it, but in the meantime is... I guess he's not actually using them to do bombings. It's just sometimes a bomb goes off because of it, uh, because yes. people explode from it. And uh, mm-hmm. he has created the Mandarin as this like fictional character to take credit for those bombings. And the idea is that he has invented a terrorist to inspire fear in America to drive demand for more military weapons that he can sell, I guess. But he's not, they don't really, I I think it's, they don't really talk about him as like a military contractor ever though, do they? Uh, Well, he wants to sell extremists to the military, but he needs to make it work right. Right. So uh, let me ask you first, how do you feel about this twist? And like the, the basic idea of this plan? I think it is a very good plot, a very good uh, villain concept. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Um, I think we talked about it a little in Iron Man 1. Um, you can't just have a bad guy in a modern superhero movie called The Mandarin on account of it's, it's racist. And I think the way they, like, making it into kind of a racist caricature to play on America's xenophobia is an interesting idea, you know? Yeah, because Iron Man 1 had basically the Mandarin stuff played straight. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they didn't literally have the Mandarin, but they did have the 12 rings, which I guess are just gone, but... The 10 rings. Oh, oh, no, They're still around. I don't know how many rings there are. You will learn more about them in All Hail the King. Okay, great. Are they like... You want me to just tell you the story just of, tell me the story of the All Hail the King? <laughs> okay, so basically, an agent of the real Mandarin... Uh-huh comes to abduct Trevor, Sla- Trevor I'll say Slattery. I already don't like that there's a real the Mandarin. Real Mandarin is pissed that Trevor Slattery took his name uh-huh. and took a bunch of credit for stuff he didn't Okay, do. I already don't like this. Go on. Uh that's about okay. it. Okay. Yeah, no. I like the idea that there is no real Mandarin. Like I would have liked it if they went I would have liked it if they went back and revealed that uh like AIM was funding the 10 rings in Iron Man 1, you know? Like if it was just full on like this whole thing is like ginned up. Like, just totally make it something that is a creation, is like an American corporation spreading, you know, terror in the world to drive demand for weapons. Like, that's a cool idea for Iron Man. And it, it, we've talked a lot about how Iron Man's got some weird issues about the military and other people in the world. And I think that would go a long way to retroactively actually making it better. Um, this goes a little bit of the way. Yeah, that would be a good idea, yeah. actually. This goes a little bit of the way towards making it better. Um, but yeah, like, again, I, I think this is a good idea. But I also feel like because this movie has so much shit in it, it doesn't quite get as much time devoted to it as I would want to see. But I don't know. Well, either way, the U.S. government has a plan to fight the Mandarin. It's the Iron Patriot. 
But yes, the U.S. government has the Iron Patriot. They, they have taken War Machine and they have given him a new coat of paint. They take the guy they call War Machine <laughs> and gave him a new paint job, says Joan Rivers. Says Joan Rivers. Yes. And they also renamed him Iron Patriot, you know, in case the paint was too subtle. Yeah. And uh, I think it cuts to Rhodey and Tony at this point, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Rhodey's being defensive about the Iron Patriots. Like, look, it tested well in focus right. groups. And I think what the, the gist of what they explain here is that since the Avengers happened, you know, there's a lot of talk in the Avengers about how Nick Fury was making a statement to, like, the universe that you can't fuck with the Earth. Uh, and Rhodey kind of explains that the Iron Patriot is America's way of saying, like, hey, there's also, like, an, an explicitly American superhero that fights for America, and even though there's, like, space aliens and shit, America is still strong and, like, still relevant on the world stage even as aliens are coming <laughs> to Earth. Right, the U.S. military basically got embarrassed by the Avengers, and now they want their own way. Yeah, which, again... Which reflects yeah. the actual U.S. military response of the Avengers when they tried to right. like, work with the Department of Defense. Right. And the Department of Defense didn't understand how S.H.I.E.L.D. fit into the structure of command, right. so then they pulled out of the movie. Yes! <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure S.H.I.E.L.D. is part of the American government, aren't they? I mean, it's not actually clear. I guess that's true. Like, I understand why they would be confused. No, sure. I don't think, I think their confusion is understandable. But on the, like, on the other hand, and I'm not saying this is like a problem with the movie. I just think it's funny. One of the Avengers is Captain America, a guy who walks around dressed like an American flag already. And they're like, hmm, these guys aren't American enough. We need a more American superhero than that guy. Yeah, but Captain America works for S.H.I.E.L.D., right. which is maybe not an American agency. Sure. Or maybe it is. Or maybe it's right. not. Yeah. The, uh, the roadies with the Air Force. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, they, they're, it is all, it's painted like the Iron Patriot is like, basically America is a little scared after a bunch of aliens invaded and they need like, they need a symbol that they can not just like look up to as an ideal, like Captain America, but like, this is just like, um, the American military has evolved to match the state of the world. And that's what the Iron Patriot is, which again, I think is a really good idea, yes. but it does not get much screen time or development, and I wish it did. There's like, I feel like you, there's almost like three movies worth of good ideas in this movie, and I like them all, and I kind of just wish it were three movies. But I don't know. Or, or that all of them like gelled together more and like all went to one central point in a stronger way. Because um, they're not really going to talk much about Iron Patriot beyond this. I mean, obviously it features into the plot. You know, the president's going to be strung up in the Iron Patriot costume. Right. It's an important image. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just wish uh, it got a little more so attention. Yeah, they start talking about the Mandarin and Rhodey explains that there's actually been nine bombings and the public only knows about three, but nobody can identify any kind of device. There's no bomb casings or anything. The bombs appear as if from nowhere. Right. And um, everyone in the movie theater is like, oh, OK, so it's like those plants that blew up. Gotcha. But they don't know that. So that's, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, but t they're in like, and then some kids go up right, to them. Right, because they're in like a bar and restaurant or something. They're at like a Margaritaville. Yeah, they're they're at an Applebee's. Yeah. And this little girl and boy show up, and the little girl gives Tony a crayon drawing she's made of him, made of Iron Man. I like Rhodey's line as the kids approach. He's saying to Tony, "No, look, I'm not trying to be a dictator." Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
That's a good euphemism. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, and then Tony's like... And the kid asks, do you mind signing my drawing? Right. Tony says, if Richard did <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Pretty good. Uh, and Tony starts to sign the drawing... And uh, I don't remember the exact sequence of events here, but he starts to get a little, like, worked up. And then the little boy, it's part of it's just how it's shot, but it's very creepy because they're trying to invoke Tony's panic attack he's having. The little boy, like, leans over to him and goes, yeah, how did you get out of the wormhole? And Tony is having a full-blown panic attack. You looked down at what he wrote, and he signed the picture, help me, Aaron, with a word bubble coming out of Iron Man's suit. And then he just scribbled all over the page. Yes. Uh, he completely freaks out and just starts shoving his way out the front door to, uh, climb into the suit, which he has parked in a parking spot next to a bunch of motorcycles, which is very good. It's very good. (laughs) (laughs) He just leaves the Iron Man suit in the parking spot. Like, Like he flew here in the suit. Right. Like this stop there, got out. Like this is supposed to be a serious scene, but also we just see the Iron Man suit standing in a parking spot, and it's amazing. <laughs> but uh he's having Jarvis run like diagnostics on him because he thinks he's having a heart attack or he's been poisoned or something. And Jarvis is like, No, dude, you're having a panic attack, buddy. That's what panic attacks are like. Uh and yeah, that's that's gonna be Tony's thing throughout this movie, is he now has a panic disorder. Which again, I think I, I think I like. Yeah, I think yeah, I think this is exactly the right tack to take in Iron Man 3 yeah. because this is something that's been building since the first movie. Yeah, yeah. Like he still had PTSD then, but it's only gotten worse and worse and got extremely worse after he almost died in space. Right. Yeah. I I like it as a way to take Tony's character. Um but uh what happens next, Crystal? Because iTunes sure as shit isn't going to tell me. Uh, well, we cut back to Stark Enterprises, where Happy Hogan has been made head of security. Yes. And Pepper is back to being the CEO. She unquit. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Happy Hogan is making himself very busy <laughs> by yelling at every employee that they're not wearing their security badges. Yes. Uh, Pepper has a conversation with him. She's like, you know, complaints about harassment have risen 300% since you were put in charge. And he's like, thank you. Right. Yeah. And I appreciate yes. it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad to see my efforts are recognized. <laughs> he's trying to replace the entire janitorial staff with robots. Yeah. And Pepper's like, wait, no, you can't. Do- we're not firing all the janitors. No, that's not happening. No, 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 no. Uh, Yeah. But um, she has a... But anyway, Pepper has a four o'clock appointment with, with Aldrich Killian. Who is like, she knows him, but it's never explained how. She says, I used to work with him and he used to ask me out all the time. So it's a little awkward. Okay, I guess I, I missed that line. I just, yeah. Okay. Um, That was the point where I was like, wait a second. Hold on. Am I that stupid? Was the woman with the plan at the beginning, like a young, younger Pepper with different hair? And I had to rewind the movie. Like, no, that is a different actress. I'm stupid. And then resume the movie. <laughs> because I'm very dumb, Crystal, is the but, thing. Uh, in, go on. No, that's all. I'm just a stupid man. You're not dumb, <laughs> Luke, you're not a stupid man. Anyway, uh, Aldrich Killian does not have a limp anymore, and he's hot now. He's got... No, and he's got, like, slicked back hair. He's like a he's like a cool businessman. Yeah, he's got now. slicked back hair and no glasses, and he took out those Halloween bad hillbilly teeth that he had in the last scene that you got from, like, Party yeah. City. It was New Year's Eve. That's probably why he had him in his mouth, and, you know. <laughs> and he, he shows Pepper a holographic projection of his brain. Yes. He's got like these marbles that he rolls out on a table and then they shoot out, yeah, a 3D image. It's a real, <laughs> his whole presentation is like, 
Let me show you what we've been working on. The human brain, wait, no, that's the universe. But hold on. And then he zooms out and it's a brain and he's like, isn't this, isn't it a striking similarity? It's like, well, yeah, but you modeled this. <laughs> it's your 3D model, dude. You could have made a human brain look like a sea lion. <laughs> he starts the presentation with, uh, a very good line, which is that after years dodging the president's ban on immoral biotech research. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what you want to hear. Right, exactly. Uh, we also get a few cutaways to Killian's security guard, who I usually have one, like, extremely minor character in each of these movies that's my favorite character, and this time it's this guy, because he's just a shithead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, he's just like... <laughs> He's reading a magazine, and Happy yells at him to put his security badge on, and he shows Happy that it's just sitting on the end table next to him, and then he, like, twists sideways in the chair to, like, throw his legs, throw one leg over the armrest to keep reading his magazine. And this guy's, like, chewing gum for the entire movie. I love this guy. And uh, Happy calls Tony to warn him about this guy and warn him that Pepper's in a meeting with Aldrich Killian. He seems like bad news. Happy doesn't know how to use the tablet camera. (laughs) So he points the camera at his forehead. Yeah, yeah. And then when he wants to sh- to show uh, Tony the sketchy security guy, he 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 can't like he doesn't understand where the camera right. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he can't flip the the screen. Yeah. So he just keeps telling like he can't physically f- turn right, it around. He doesn't know how to switch to the other camera, and he doesn't know how to rotate the uh, the uh, you know tablet. Uh, <laughs> I'm not super genius, Tony. Yeah. Um, yeah, he talks about how he's not working for Tony anymore, and he misses him, but he misses the way it used to be, not when he ran around with the super friends. Uh, meanwhile, Killian is showing Pepper this brain image and how <laughs> he guides her through it to where there's just a big old hole in this brain. And he says, like, as you can see, there's room for modularity. The human brain is destined to be upgraded. I'm like, no, man, I think you just might need to see a doctor. You have a hole in your brain. That doesn't seem good. Um, that's my joke for this scene. So Pepper explains to him that they can't buy this technology because it's highly weaponizable. Right, yes. Uh, which, which I is... had to stop the movie to applaud because someone finally said something along those lines in any of these fucking movies. Yeah, I, I, it seems a weird line to me because, like, I I guess it is, but he wasn't, like, he was talking about this for medical purposes, Well, right? he was saying, imagine if you could, like, hack human biology, and she's like, yeah, that's that does sound amazing, and it also sounds terrifying. And, like, at last, someone, someone once has thought that maybe any of these things have some, like, possibly troubling implications. I don't know, I was very happy about that line. Okay, fair enough. But she basically just tells him, you know, no, we we don't want to do business with you. And uh, she sort of just escorts him away. And then uh, Aldrich kisses her goodbye. Right, which is a real creepo thing to do. Real creepo thing to do. It's a real creepo thing. Don't Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that to people you don't know. Yeah, don't. People that you apparently harassed years ago. Yeah, don't do that to some woman you relentlessly hit on 10 years ago who turned you down over and over and then you show up again and she's like mildly happy to see you. That's not a, that's not a green light, my bro. (laughs) But uh, yeah, as they drive away, uh, Happy takes a photo of the license plate of their car because he's decided he's going to tail this guy and figure out what his deal is because he gives him the heebie-jeebies. 
I like that even though Happy is being way overzealous, his instincts are actually completely right. Oh, yeah, for sure. But that's the thing. He's overzealous about everything. So the one time a bad guy does show up, he is going to catch him. Yeah. It's just he's also going to harass every employee in this building in the process. (laughs) Right. So Pepper uh, drives home to their Malibu house. And her Christmas present is waiting for her in the driveway. It is like a 15-foot tall stuffed rabbit <laughs> it's got like like paws sticking out of its chest but the paws also look like larger breasts i'm glad you said it because i was thinking it mm-hmm. said what <laughs> that, that the paws look like boobs the, the, the paws look like what yeah they look like <laughs> fuck you <laughs> uh, luke I, i'm sorry I, I didn't catch what you said i said the paws look like boobs crystal they look like hawkers, bazongas, bazookas. Is that what you wanted to hear from me? <laughs> um, yeah, so Pepper walks in, and the suit is there sitting on the couch, which is a great shot. Yeah, it's just chilling out on the couch. It's the Mark 42. Right, she says, like, oh, God, what are you up to, the Mark 15? And we see a shot of the Mark 42 uh, imprinted on it. Because uh, Tony's making a lot of Iron Man suits. Yeah, you may remember that six months ago in The Avengers, he was only up to Mark 7. Oh, wow, okay. So in the past six months, he has made 35 suits. That's a lot of suits! That's, a, that's a, you know, it's not not a lot of suits. That's like, it's like a new suit every five days. That's, that's too many suits. Well, it goes a lot faster if you don't sleep. I mean, isn't that what you want, to not sleep so you have more time? I... Well, I want to not need to sleep, but I do need to sleep, and I accept that fact. But yes, if I could always feel like like I had a good night's sleep at all times without ever having to go to sleep, yes, I would absolutely want that. Oh, I'd never do it. I'd, I'd go the other direction. You just want to sleep forever? <laughs> I mean, we got medically induced comas. We can arrange that. I don't think they'll do those electively. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that's true. But, you know, I'm just saying the option's out there. You can find some back alley anesthesiologists. Tony talks to her through the suit, and she's asked, like, how, how are we going to fit that Christmas present through the door? And Tony explains that a team of guys are going to come tomorrow and blow out the wall so that they can fit the uh-huh. giant titty buddy through the door. Yeah, the way he says it, it almost sounds like they're coming here to do that for some other reason, but then he doesn't elaborate. So, yeah, no, I think they're just coming to knock down a wall to get this giant dumbass bunny into the mansion. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot. So, Pepper Pepper tries to kiss him, but Tony can't open the mask cuz he's not actually in the suit. He's downstairs in the yeah. basement. Uh so he makes up an excuse. I will say even though I've seen later Avengers movies where he has like autonomous Iron Man suits. Um, this did work for me a little bit because I thought the way this movie was going to go is that like the Iron Man suit is his security blankie and like he can only deal with his anxiety while he's wearing it, which I'm glad it didn't do because that'd be stupid. But uh, yeah, so I thought it was just going to be like, oh, no, no, I have to wear the suit all the time. I got to be in it always because you never know what's going to happen. But no, uh, he's just being a weirdo. 
she goes down and yeah, he's got like a cool like hologram headset he wears to control it remotely. Yeah, I mean, it is still basically a security blankie. Sure. Like, he goes into the suit when he's having a panic attack. He has a suit that he can jump into in two seconds at his side at all times. No, you're right. I just, I like that it's not literally he starts having a panic attack if he ever takes the suit off. Because I can imagine a shittier version of the movie where that's what happens, and I would hate it. Yeah, no, that would be worse. Um, but yeah, he just, he, oh, this is where he kind of breaks down and explains the problems he's been having, right? Pepper comes down and sees him doing pull-ups and he's already eaten food, even though this is their date night. She's like, this is a new level of language. Yes. Which is a totally spies line. It is a bit of a totally spies line. You're not wrong. Um. <laughs> Tony's response is, oh, I didn't know if you were coming home or if you were having drinks with Aldrich Killian. <laughs> Trevor's like, okay, one, he's a business meeting. Two, are you spying on me? So, to be fair, I get why she takes it that way. And I totally, like, that. Is, it's not unreasonable for her to take it that way. And he was spying on her, uh, not voluntarily, but still. I did think he meant it in terms of, like, he thought maybe she was going to go out for drinks as, like, a business thing with him. That, you know, but eh, either way, like, it's a weird thing. Yeah, no, he's he's still being very one hundred percent. Um, but he does finally kind of break down and explain that he can't sleep anymore and he can't like do anything other than sit down here and tinker with Iron Man's, and he is like falling apart, and she's the only like good part of his life, and he's becoming completely codependent on her, which is fine. Uh, but she kind of you know softens when he explains all of this and uh basically says let's go have sex she says i'm gonna take a shower and you're coming with me uh because that that you know that's how you're fixing that's how you fix anxiety sure so it cuts to them asleep and tony's having nightmares yeah. about the battle of new york right and while he is stressed and asleep he sleep summons the suit and it attacks right Pepper. she is like shaking him to try and wake him out of the nightmare and uh i guess because of that the suit like for a second identifies her as a threat or something and he wakes up and like has to yell at the suit to turn off and it collapses and she kind of freaks out because she got accosted by a metal robot man in the middle of the night and uh leaves to go sleep on the couch and just tells him you know what ah you know what never mind just uh you you just keep indulging your uh anxious tics that's fine bye which i like i <laughs> It is on one hand completely an understandable reaction, but on the other hand, like, it is it is a 180 from, oh, wow, you're dealing with some severe anxiety issues, and as your, you know, partner, I need to be supportive, too. Nope, fuck this, bye! <laughs> yes, but, uh, you know, you try getting attacked by... No, someone. right, exactly, like, I'm not, I, I, I yeah. <laughs> I understand where that reaction comes from. Yeah. So the next scene is set in front of the famous Chinese theater in Los Angeles. Yes. And I was on the Wikipedia page for it, and I just want to read the beginning of the history section. Okay. After his success with the Egyptian theater, Sid Grauman turned to Charles E. Toberman to secure a long-term lease from Francis X. Bushman. These are all fake names. <laughs> but go on. It's, it's a very good array of names. Francis X. Bushman. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eat my butt, Francis yeah, so Bushman. Happy he has 
followed the the bodyguard guy yeah. to in front of the Chinese theater where he is giving some kind of drugs to another guy. So Happy bumps into him and knocks over his supply case and uh, takes like one of the, the tubes or something. And then he confronts uh, the security man. Yeah. Well, I think the security man confronts him. Because I think Happy was just going to walk away with it, but then the security man kind of runs, Oh, hey, what are you doing here, buddy? Hi. And Happy's immediately like, I gotcha. Yeah, 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 you're right. So they get in a little altercation, but then the guy who took the drugs uh, done, does an explosion. Yes. He he starts like, his like veins start to glow under his skin, and then his whole like body starts to glow, and like light shoots out of his eyes and mouth. It's It's a striking kind of image. Yeah, he's got some weird stuff in his blood. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he completely explodes. Anyone that was, like, close to him is turned into, like, a silhouette of soot. Like a, like a Hiroshima ghost or something. Yes. Uh, it's, it's a lot. And, uh... It is a lot. Happy is not vaporized, but he is very badly hurt. And he looks over and sees the dog tags this guy was wearing. And he tries to, like, reach out to them, but he, he like, can't move, really. And the bodyguard, like, stands up. His whole skin is, like, charred and black and gross. And uh, as he's, like, just strolling casually out of this scene, he starts to heal and look normal again. And it's it's a good look. It's a good shot. And Savin, that's his name, Savin, also starts chewing on a piece of gum as he walks away. Yes! He's always chewing gum! I love him! <laughs> so then it cuts to a Mandarin broadcast, where he explains that fortune cookies yeah. aren't actually Chinese. Did you know, if, even though they're named, you know, even though they have an association with Chinese, fortune cookies are an American invention. True story about fortune cookies. They look Chinese, they sound Chinese, but they're actually an American invention, which is why they're hollow, full of lies and leave a bad taste in the mouth. Yes. Which, you know what? I did just realize he's also just describing the Mandarin in that bit. Like, it looks like foreign, but it's American and it's hollow and full of lies. So, hey, good foreshadowing movie. Yeah, good job. That's That's some decent screenwriting, everybody. Good job. Yeah, he explains he just destroyed another cheap American knockoff, the Chinese theater. Yeah. But the big lesson is coming soon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I almost wish there were more Mandarin cutaways in this movie. I know they're all very good. They're all very good. Like I I wish like every major like act break was punctuated by a Mandarin transmission. Yes. But uh, iTunes won't let me find out what happens next. So why don't you tell me? Well, Tony visits Happy in the hospital, and you know Happy's not in great shape. He's in a coma, right? But he he seems to be stable. Yeah. And as he leaves the hospital, a bunch of reporters crowd him. And they're like, you know, the Mandarin just said he's going to he's going to do the big attack soon. What are you going to do about it? When is somebody going to kill this guy? Right. And right, Tony right. takes off his glasses and takes this one guy's phone and says straight into it, Mandarin, you're already dead. I'm just coming to collect the body. And then yeah. he gives out his address yes. on international television. Yes, he does. <laughs> he invites the Mandarin to come attack him. Which seems like a bad call, but he's extremely sleep deprived. So, you know, understandable. And then he takes this guy's thrown phone and throws it at the wall. Yeah, and breaks it. Breaks it. And just looks at him. Is that what you wanted? Is that what you wanted? Huh? Uh, and drives off. Before, when he is in the hospital, he does explain to the nurse that they should leave the TV on Downton Abbey because it's Happy's favorite show, which is important later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, is it? Yeah, it's... It comes up later. I don't know that I call it important. Yeah, it's the V-plot. <laughs> Happy wants to watch Downton Abbey. 
V will come too. Yep, mm-hmm, he sure will. Um, and then uh, is this Tony back at his house? Oh, right, no, that's right. This is when he starts playing Batman Arkham Asylum, Arkham Knight, and uh, reconstructs the crime scene in holograms so that he can figure out who the Mandarin is. Yeah, he's doing stuff with Jarvis and the hologram stuff. Figure yeah. out who the Mandarin is and what's the deal with the bombs. Right. And uh, he's analyzing everywhere there's been a Mandarin attack. And he tells Jarvis to prepare a flight plan so he can check out the locations personally. Yeah, he does. Like, this holographic recreation of the bomb site is so perfect that he finds the dog tags on the ground. So he gets, like, the name right. of the, the person that exploded, even though he doesn't understand that's what happened yet. Um, he, like, he figures out that that's, like, what happened was looking at but yeah then like you said he looks at heat signatures everywhere because the mandarin explosions are extremely hot they're like 300 or 3000 degrees fahrenheit or something uh so he like just looks at places that have gotten that hot lately and he finds one in tennessee that is not associated with a mandarin attack so he decides that's worth investigating and yeah like you said jarvis creates a flight plan to go to chattanooga tennessee no rose hill tennessee although chattanooga must be nearby because he's there also later and then the doorbell rings yes <laughs> tony has good lines like supposed to be until security lockdown come yeah. on i threatened the terrorists right he says are we still in ding dong <laughs> so then he goes upstairs and my hansen is there yeah and then pepper drops her bags on the floor because it's time to leave. It's actually a really well-blocked, like, good visual joke, because he, like, walks away from her and says, like, sorry, I'm in a committed relationship now, and then just a suitcase drops from the top of the frame right next to him, and he goes, oh yeah, with her. And also the tit bunny is on the right side of her. They got it in. <laughs> yep, they sure did. <laughs> oh, do you think it's foreshadowing when he was like, I've got some guys coming over tomorrow to knock down the wall? Oh, that's true. Guys do come and knock down all the walls. Yeah. See, uh, see they, they can write a script. I don't know if that one's quite... Because the bunny's already in the house, so I don't know if that one was foreshadowing. Oh, God, I'm just freeze-framed on this bunny. It does just look a lot like boobs. Like, two of the, like, paw beans even look like nipples. It's bad. How did no one look at this bunny and think, wait a second, hold on. <laughs> no, I, I think it's intentional. Is it? Like, do you think it's intentional? Like, do you think Tony made a tit bunny on accident, on purpose? Yes. Okay. I think it's intentional by Tony. All right. Okay. It's art. Sure. Yeah, uh, so Maya Hansen says, like, we need to go, but she doesn't really explain why. Yes. And before she can, uh, the Mandarin attacks. Yeah, there's just attack helicopters outside that start shooting missiles at Stark Manor. And, okay, so we're going to find out near the end of this movie that the vice president is in on the Mandarin plot, right? Uh So this seems like it would be a good time to start seeding that a little more explicitly. Because, like, how did attack helicopters just come to, like, Stark's house without any kind of, like, that's not how airspace works. People would know that that was happening. Well, maybe there is some kind of inside man. Oh, that's what I'm saying. I think you could absolutely explain that there's an inside man because part of the government is working with the Mandarin. I'm just saying, like, even they have a throwaway line about how they pulled this off to, like, start making you think about that possibility. I don't know. I would like that. But yeah, a bunch of attack helicopters start shooting missiles at this mansion, and uh, Tony summons the Iron Man suit, but not to him. Summons it to Pepper. Yeah, Pepper's got the suit on now. Yeah. Now she's going to be the rescue. Right. Uh, She gets to do a few things in this movie, which, you know, that's good. She gets to do a few things in this movie. Yeah. 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 Yeah, she, like, saves Tony from being crushed by some rocks. Yeah. And then she uh, carries um, uh, Maya out of the house. Maya Hansen. Maya Hansen. Thank you. 
bad at names. And then when both of them are in the clear, uh, Tony summons the suit back to him yeah. so that he cannot die. And he has a little skirmish with the helicopters. Right. And like the gimmick of this fight, though, is that the suit is not at full power yet because it was just a prototype. He was just working on like the summoning mechanism. So it's not really combat ready. Uh, it can't fly like the weapons are jamming on it and he is having to kind of improvise ways to take down these helicopters while he's, uh, you know, got his hand tied behind his back like this. And it's a pretty good little fight. I, in general, really like the action in this movie. I like it. A lot of times when these movies get actiony is when I start to get bored, but I really like the action scenes in this one. They all have like a gimmick to them that makes them like interesting. Yeah. There's no, there's never really like a fight where in this movie where Tony's at 100%, he's always got some kind of handicap. Uh, but yeah. So the entire house collapses and Tony's like dragged into the ocean. Yes. Yeah. And he gets like pinned under some debris. Uh, Jarvis tells him to take a deep breath because he launches the fist off of the suit, uh, breaking the seal on it. But then the hand like turns around and grabs Tony's hand to pull him out, which is a good visual. <laughs> it is a yeah. good visual. Uh, and then the suit starts flying into the air while Tony yeah, passes right. out. Tony passes out, the screen goes black, uh, and yeah, yeah, Tony wakes up in the snow in Tennessee, because Jarvis had a flight plan scheduled to go to Tennessee, goddammit. And Jarvis is a very tired boy, because the power's uh, running yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Jarvis has to go into, like, standby mode or whatever, and Tony is left with uh, an inactive Iron Man suit. A damaged one as well. It's like it's sparking all over the place and like barely holding together. Right. It's it's very beaten up. Uh, so he finds some rope or something and just it's a very good visual of him like just dragging the Iron Man suit through the snow. Yeah, it's like he's physically dragging it, but he's also like emotionally dragging ah, it. Ah, it's ah. like it's like the suit is like baggage. I gotcha. Yeah, I see what you're driving at here. <laughs> see, it's it's. it's using like images to to aid the storytelling filmic language if you will which feels kind of novel for Mar- like this movie visually feels way better than any of the other marvel movies so far yeah uh, yeah and i have a hard time like really putting my finger on it i don't think i am like well versed enough in like film technique to really explain it but just watching this movie i don't know it I, this movie is more interesting to look at to me than most of the other movies have yeah, been. I like it. I think it's very well cinematographized. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he eventually he finds like a like wooden gas station that has like a wooden statue of an Indian outside with a poncho on it that he steals to keep warm. And then he gets to a payphone, and I guess he I guess he's got one of those like whistles from Captain Crunch boxes that let you hack into fifty six K modems. <laughs> Because somehow he uses the phone to hack into all of his own servers to uh, leave a message for Pepper in case she checks anything that he owns. Right, that's the thing you can do. Yeah, probably. Uh, it, it's not that ridiculous. Honestly, um, the weirdest part of this is that a payphone is extant. Uh, but yeah, he just explains that he's really sorry that he's taken her for granted. And, I don't know, you probably have the actual dialogue in front of you, which iTunes has refused me, because it's a cruel master. Pepper, it's me. I've got a lot of apologies to make, and not a lot of time. So first off, I'm so sorry I put you in harm's way. That was selfish and stupid, and it won't happen again. Also, it's Christmas time, and the rabbit's too big. Done. Sorry. And I'm sorry in advance because I can't come home yet. I need to find this guy. You gotta stay safe. That's all I know. I just stole a poncho from Wooden India. Yeah. So yeah. then he drags the suit into some guy's garage. 
Right, yeah, just some random garage. And there's another good shot of him, like, positioning the the depowered broken suit on the couch and him just slumping on the couch next <laughs> yeah, to it. Yeah, it's a good look. It's really, it's probably the screenshot I will use for the art of I think that's a good suit. call. Yeah, it's a very good frame. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, while he's working on repairing the suit with whatever he can find, I guess, uh, someone comes in. It is a kid with a potato gun. And uh, Tony, no, oh, I, I want to ask you about a particular line. Tony okay, has. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, "Nice potato gun. Barrel's a little long. Between that and the wide gauge, it's going to diminish your FPS." <laughs> right. Yes. What does he mean by that? That's uh, not. That's not the word. Hmm. Now, see, there's two possibilities here. One is that the screenwriter just threw in something because it was techno babble, and who cares? And the other possibility is that Tony is deliberately using fake techno babble. Because he knows whatever he says, this kid's not going to hear it anyway. I could see either being the case. But he never uses fake techno babble. Yeah, you're well, right. No, he probably does, actually. What am I talking about? Well, right, yeah. Like, I can very easily see he's him. Just, he's just he's using the wrong gamer speak. <laughs> right. No, he is. I'm just saying, I can easily see it. It sounds... He's disrespecting gamer culture. <laughs> it is a Tony Stark kind of move to purposely use made-up techno babble to clown on someone without them realizing they're being clowned on you know i don't know but this kid to prove that uh his potato gun's plenty strong uh shoots out a light and then tony's like yeah but now you wasted your ammo so tough shit and uh this kid seems like because those kids in the restaurant did come up to tony and like knew he was iron man this kid doesn't seem to know this guy's iron man he's like i mean not everyone's gonna know him by face I guess not, but this kid also really, really likes Iron Man. So it seems weird that he. I, mean, I don't know that he he knows who Iron Man is. Like, everyone likes Iron All Man, right, yeah. but he hasn't read Iron Man's Wikipedia page. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I guess. I mean, the thing like Iron Man is the superhero that like came out. Like Tony Stark stood in front of the National News and said, "I'm Iron Man." I don't this know. He doesn't watch. The I news. guess so. I guess not. He's on his his uh, telephone, right? Yeah, playing Fortnite. Ugh. But he identifies the suit as Iron Man, yeah. not Tony. Right. It's like, uh, it's like a theme. Ah, ah, ah. Hi, what do you think about this I kid? I like this kid. Um, I don't think this, like, actor... This actor's fine. I don't know... I don't know how I feel about this kid as a character. I like the actor and I like the kid. Why, why don't you like the kid? Well, because we're going to get to it in a minute here, where Tony asks him, Hey, who all's home? And he says, Well, my mom went to the diner, and Dad left to get scratchers, and I guess he must have won because he hasn't come back in four years. That's my whole tragic backstory, Tony. <laughs> right, that is a pretty weird line. Yeah. Like, it's just... How do you feel about Tony's response to it? Tony does tell him not to be a pussy about it, which is, wow, all right. Hmm. 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 Yeah. Huh. But, uh, yeah, they come to an understanding where Tony explains that he is Iron Man's mechanic. And I guess they just, this kid now just thinks that Iron Man is a robot, I guess? No, I don't think the kid, I think the kid is just playing along with the story. Okay, okay. That's, that's better for, that, that, that makes the kid look better to interpret him that way. So we'll go with that. No, I, I think this kid is precocious. Sure. And he, Tony gives the kid a weapon that discourages bullying. Yeah, he tells him he needs, like, a bunch of random parts and a tuna sandwich. And in exchange, he's going to give him a weapon from Iron Man's suit uh, that he can use on whoever bullies him at school. Uh, He says, point it away from the face. And, uh, you know, what this does is it discourages bullies. Which, I mean, it's like a flashbang, but wow. (laughs) 
seems seems like maybe not the best idea, but you know, whatever. That kid is gonna get arrested. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it's is this where he like has the kid take him out to the bomb well, site? Before this, we cut back to Pepper, and she gets uh, the message right. from the Iron Man helmet, which is yes. all scratched up. Right, because she's like looking through the wreckage, and she like emotionally like presses her forehead to the Iron Man helmet's forehead, and then it like starts to blink, so she puts it on. Because it's not clear uh, to the world if Tony Stark is alive or dead. Right. Everyone seems to think he's dead at this point. And then she uh, drives around uh, Maya Hansen to wherever they're going. Right. And she explains that her boss, Aldrich Killian, right, is right, working right. for the man. Yes. Uh, which, like I said, we, we've probably figured out at this point just because, well, we definitely have because we've seen the guy explode in the exact same way the plant did. But yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it cuts to a mansion that is in a deliberately, like, geographically ambiguous location. Yes. Uh, because they want you to think that it's, like, somewhere in the Middle East or maybe in, like, South America somewhere. Uh, we're gonna find out later. It's in Miami, Florida. Which, again, like, I like... I like the fake Mandarin plot a lot. It's just, again, this movie's got a lot going on, and I I don't know. I like it when it happens, though. It's good stuff. Uh, because is this where we get that next broadcast? No, we don't get a broadcast okay. yet. We just get them preparing to film. Okay. It. And then they check out the wreckage, and it happened in a church, and there's five, uh, like, ash shadows on the walls, but none for the bomber. Right. Because the victims went to heaven, and the bomber went to hell. Right. That's what the local, like, I guess, urban legend about it is. And Tony's like, no, that's dumb. Religion's for idiots. He hasn't seen <laughs> No, that. I know, but... <laughs> He's like, no, that, that doesn't make any sense. Like, something something else happened here. Yeah. Uh, and then the kid starts talking about the wormhole. Right. And uh, it is clearly upsetting Tony. And this kid is like, the way they, I don't think he's supposed to be doing it on purpose, but it kind of looks like he's doing it on purpose. He's like, oh, does it upset you when I talk about the wormhole? Should I stop talking about the wormhole? Do you not like it to hear about the wormhole? It, it reads to me like he is doing it. He maybe, like, doesn't understand, uh, like, how much it's yeah. affecting Tony. Yeah. But I think he is intentionally trying to mess with him. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, Tony has a panic attack and runs away. And the kid has to, like, run up and catch up with him. Um, Tony, by the way, is wearing uh, this kid's younger sister's Dora the Explorer limited edition collector's watch. Which will come back yes, later. Yes, that's the X that, that, That's like uh, uh, an M plot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That is a higher tier plot than Downton Abbey. <laughs> so the kid explains that the, the supposed bomber's mom is hanging out in the bar. And Tony can just go there and go talk to her. Right. And as he's walking in, he brushes past a woman, or she drops something, and uh, he goes to give it back to her, and we see that, like, she brushes some hair out of her face, and, like, the whole side of her face is all scarred up, and, uh, you know, she's probably not important, probably not a, you know, we can just forget about no, I that. I think this is setting her up to appear later, Luke. I think that's sort of how filmic language works. Nah, that's crazy. Uh, so Tony walks into this bar and finds uh, the bomber's mother and um, sort of sits down, asks her, you know, her feelings about what happened with her son. And all of a sudden she just pulls out a big old file folder with like the plot of the movie in it. It's like, listen, I got this for you. This is what you wanted. Just take it and go. Leave me alone. It's like, wait, what? Uh, the, sorry, what? So, whoop. And then Crystal, that woman, comes back with a scarred up face. But the information in it is enough to tip off Tony that uh, the bomber didn't kill anyone intentionally. He was being used. Right. As a weapon. 
And then, yeah, the, the woman from outside uh, shoves Tony down and starts to handcuff him. And I like the sheriff character that shows up here. It's like, hey, hold on. Whoa, hold on you a can't sec. just go arresting people here. Right, and she flashes a badge and says that she's with the Department of Homeland Security. We good here? No, we're not good. Right. He's like, no, you you could have bought that at fucking Party City. <laughs> I like that the sheriff, like, isn't just taking any shit. Yeah, this, this is a good sheriff. <sighs> but then she kills the sheriff with her fire hand. Yep, because she's got the same fire powers. And, uh, yeah, well, I guess this is the introduction of the idea that it's not just you can explode. Some of these people can control that heat to, uh, like, yeah, have fire powers. Either, like, make their, like, body parts super hot or literally emit fire in some cases. Which I like the idea. They never say this out loud, but I kind of like the idea. Early on, they talk about how they are hacking human DNA to give it, like, a healing factor. I like the idea that, yeah, you're overclocking the computer, which is making it run too hot. That's my headcanon for why they have firepower. So, uh, Tony runs outside and, like, Gavin gets out of the car and just, like, gives him a smile right. and throws away his coffee and prepares to start the fight. Yeah, yeah. He is such a good character. <laughs> yeah, so th- there's a whole extended fight sequence here, which is very good because Tony uh, doesn't have the suit. He just has his wits and ingenuity. Wits and ingenuity, and he's not even at, like, the top of his game as far as that goes. He's all beaten up. He still hasn't slept. Uh, yeah, it's it's good. Um, he has to, like, run inside of a diner, and, uh, he, like, pours a bunch of cooking oil on the floor, and then lights it up, um, thinking, like a reasonable person would, that setting a person on fire might be enough to deal with them. But not if they're fire type. Fire resists fire. Uh, yeah, exactly. They're, re- exactly. One thing I will say about this movie, and it's, it's not a problem yet, but it's gonna become one, it is not clear how much damage these people can take before they die. Because, like, one person gets shot and killed immediately, and then one person will get shot, like, five times and regenerate. But we'll get to it. Well, I don't think the serum affects everyone equally. I guess that's, yeah, that's a fair way to hand wave that, I guess. But, uh, he, since the cooking oil alone doesn't work, he, like, pulls a gas pipe to just blow up the entire diner. Uh, that does her. Right, that that does manage to stop her. She is weak to explosion. Yes. I mean, explosion is a normal type move that has your dan- right. has, has your defense stat pre-gen 5. So, you know, it does a lot of damage. Yeah. So, Savin uh, uses his fire powers to melt, like, the beams holding up the water tower. Yeah. And then the whole water tower just falls on Tony. Yep. And then uh, Savin takes the kid and threatens to kill the kid. Right, right. But then Tony manages to summon the Iron Man glove. Wait, no, no, he doesn't. The kid uses the anti-bullying device to flashbang him. Right. And then Tony summons the Iron Man glove and shoots him. Right. And uh, Tony, yeah, just gets in the car and drives off, right? Tony and the kid have a little conversation where, you know, the kid explains that, like, we're partners now. We're connected. (laughs) And then Tony tells... So he tells the kid to keep his trap shut, guard the suit, and stay connected to the telephone. Yeah. And the, the kid does this, like, cute kid act, like, I'm cold, can't you let me in the car? And Tony's just like, nope, sorry, nerd, and drives off. Uh, and then it's Mandarin time, right? Yeah. yeah. So the Mandarin has a oil tycoon on the floor in front of his chair. And uh, we see that, like, the president on Air Force One is being sent this broadcast. 
where the Mandarin says that, uh, you know, this guy was responsible for like a big oil leak or something. And um, the president has 30 seconds to call him or he's going to shoot this guy because the Mandarin has hacked the president's phone to put his number in it. Uh, And the president does try to call him. And the Mandarin just lets the phone ring a few times and shoots the guy anyway. But you don't see him get shot. Right, they cut away before the actual gunshot happens. But I mean, everyone has a reaction shot, yeah. Like, but I think what we're gonna find out, I guess, based on what they've they say later, like this was a, like this guy did not actually get shot, and like this guy was probably an actor, right? Which that mm, that just seems like wouldn't like the oil company this guy allegedly works for come out and be like, we don't know who that fucking guy was. Well, the makeup was really good. Maybe they did actually kidnap that guy, but they just shot him with like a squib and then like hauled him back into wherever they're holding him. Yeah, maybe that also would make sense. I guess, yeah. So after shooting this guy, the Mandarin says that he's coming for the president next. Yeah, there's only one more lesson, Mr. President. Uh, and while the broadcast is going on, Tony Stark has snuck into a news van. He's driven to Chattanooga, where they're holding the Miss Chattanooga competition. This is where Stan Lee shows Yes, up. he's one of the judges. Uh... <laughs> And uh, Tony breaks into one of the news vans that are covering the event. And this guy... Right, because pre- on the way here, he had a conversation with uh, the Iron Patriot. And they mentioned that AIM designed the Iron Patriot suit. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And he asked for Rhodey's password, which is the same as it's always <laughs> right. been. War Machine 68. <laughs> Do you think in the original script it was War Machine 69? No. Really? You don't? No, I think it was always 69. Uh, I think it was 69, and someone was like, guys, no, come on, we can't, come on, change it. And uh, he also has to know Rhodey's password, which Rhodey is very reluctant to give up because it is War Machine Rocks with an X. Meanwhile, Rhodey is in the middle of, like, uh, raiding some place in the Middle East, hunting for the Mandarin, and all of these people he's holding up at gunpoint start laughing at him when he gives the password out. Yeah. It's a weird the 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 Iron Patriot plotline in this movie is weird. Like I said, it's I, not not I weird. like the premise of it, but I don't know. <laughs> um but yeah, Tony is broken into this news van to use that to like hack into the government's computers to learn more about uh, either AIM or something. It doesn't matter. Learn more about the plot. Uh, he does have a moment where he's looking through that file folder that woman had, and he sees that one of the soldiers was listed as MIA, and he turns the paper over and sees that that's AIM backwards. He's like, oh, damn it. And like, that's how he starts to figure things out. Uh, that look. That's so very stupid. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> that that doesn't. That's not how that works. MIA is is like that's a term that's been around for a very yes, long time. It has. So okay, I think I think the idea is that it's not actually secretly AIM backwards. I think he just sees it backwards, and that makes him think of AIM and put the dots together. I have to believe that's how it works because otherwise it's extremely dumb. No, I th- I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so Tony's hacking into this news van, and the owner of it comes back, and this guy's name is Gary, and Gary really likes Tony Stark. <laughs> Gary, uh, has a goatee, just like Tony. He- he's very excited that Tony's in his van. Uh, he has a tattoo on his arm of Tony. Um, Crystal, are they implying that Gary is gay and is into Tony and are sort of, like, being like, haha, look at this gay guy? I got that vibe a little bit off of this scene. Oh, yes, they are. I wanted to make sure I wasn't reading that into it. (laughs) That's absolutely what it is. It seems a little, seems slightly like, yeah, maybe don't do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Maybe not the most nice way to do this. Yes, uh, especially when you don't have any gay characters. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, Tony explains that he needs... Because Tony has literally logged into speedtest.net and found that he does not have good enough internet to play Counter-Strike while he's downloading all these files. Yes. Uh, so he tells Gary to get up on the roof and fiddle with it until he has good internet. And he says, Tony needs Gary. And Gary kind of grabs and goes, and Gary needs Tony. And then, yeah, that's basically all we get out of Gary. So, you know. Hmm. Thanks, Thanks, Gary. Gary, Gary if you're listening. Thank, thank you, you, Gary. I'm, so, I'm sorry the writers and creators of this movie did you like that, Gary. I'm sorry, Gary. Uh, be nice to Gary. Uh, but no, uh, Tony gets a bunch of video files from AIM where they are interviewing war veterans who are amputees for mm-hmm. the pro- for Project Extremis. Uh-huh. Um, and this kind of is, again, where you were talking about where this is where the disability stuff in this movie starts to come in again in a way that I'm not I'm not sure it's I don't know, you know? Now, Luke, how do you feel about all of the villains in this movie being disabled? Yeah, see, that's, hmm, yeah, it's not great, but it's also, like, it's not directly commented on either. It's, it's weird. I, like, I'm honestly, like, I'm not, I don't know how to feel about it. I saw you explicitly ask people to tell us what they thought about it. Yeah, because I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah, yeah, did anyone say anything? Tony Stark is not usually framed this way, but, like, he is also disabled. Right, right. Like, he has a heart condition, and he wears a fancy pacemaker. And then at the end of this movie, he has that removed. Yeah, he spends the whole movie fighting people that had their disabilities healed, and then he heals his own disability. Uh, hmm. Right. And then disabilities are something to be healed. Yeah, which I understand that that's, you know... For lack of a better term, problematic. Right, I don't feel like either of us are actually qualified at all to have this conversation. No, one hundred percent. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how to feel yeah. about it. Send us yeah, emails. If, if you do have some thoughts on it, especially if you are disabled, uh, write in. I would like to know your feelings about Iron Man three uh, as far as it treats disabled people. Because um, yeah, I, we are just not qualified for this conversation. Uh, have you ever seen Cars two, Crystal? Uh, I've not seen Cars 2, but I know that the Lemons are the villains. <laughs> so the plot of Cars 2 is that there are some cars that are Lemons, which are cars that don't work very good. And uh, the whole like character plot of that movie is that Mater, played by Larry the Cable Guy, is a dumb hick who is accidentally racist to everybody as they go around the world. And uh, Lightning McQueen is embarrassed by his racist friend that he keeps trying to like distance himself from. And... Uh, The idea is he says some very offensive things about Lemons, and then it turns out that Lemons are actually behind the entire plot and are trying to destroy the world, and uh, Mater manages to, through his lack of sensitivity, correctly discover who the villain is and save the day. And the lesson that Lightning McQueen learns is that he shouldn't dismiss his racist, bigoted friend because he's right sometimes. I don't understand how that movie got made, Crystal. <laughs> it's uh, you know what? I'll say this: we're unqualified to talk about disability in Iron Man three. I'm ready to say it handles it better than Cars two did. So yeah, so they they've been using the extremists to like make amputees grow their limbs back, and yeah. uh, they mentioned that it has like addictive properties. As well. Right, but they will not tolerate addiction. You have to be able to regulate, which is the term they use for like using this drug responsibly. 
And also sometimes uh, they explode. Right, sometimes your body rejects the drug and it makes your whole body explode. Yeah, so then Tony figures out that they weren't bombs, they were extremist explosions. Right. Which at this point, I didn't quite get that uh, these were accidental explosions. I thought the idea was Aldrich was deliberately ODing like people that he wanted to get rid of to create bombs for the Mandarin to claim credit for, as opposed to it just being a way to cover up his accidents, you know? Yeah, I think that's where Tony's at at this point in the movie yeah, as well. Yeah, um, But yeah, we get uh, a real gnarly scene of uh, the fake Homeland Security lady uh, regrowing her amputated arm. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's gross. But then we come back to the hotel that Pepper and Maya are staying in, and uh, they talk for a bit about... I don't know, something iTunes decided I don't get subtitles anymore. Fuck iTunes! Well, well, she, she's saying, like, you know, at, at the beginning, we all begin wide-eyed, pure science. And then the ego steps yeah. in, and the obsession, and you look up, and you're a long way from shore. Right. It's uh, it's Otacon's speech from Metal Gear Solid, about he just loved mecha anime, yes. and he just wanted to make robots, and he doesn't even know how he ended it, up making weapons. It is a conversation about between two women, not about a man. They do talk about Killian a little bit, but that's not the th- main thrust of it. You're right. Yeah, the main thrust of it is that, like, you know, she was trying to be, like, a good scientist, but she accidentally made uh, people bomb. Yeah, bomb no, people. You're, you're right. This, this, this movie passes the Bechdel test, and that means it's not sexist, right? That's exactly what that means. Right, that's what that means. So then Aldrich Killian shows up. Yeah, he shows up and uh, starts strangling Pepper, and we immediately find out that Maya has been putting on an act this whole time, and she is working with Killian and the Mandarin. And uh, really, this is all just about getting Tony Stark on board to complete Project Extremis. Because they they need Stark if they're going to launch this thing this year. Right, because I guess she couldn't figure out that math equation he left behind for her, so he need, she needs him to come in and actually like implement it. Oh, really? She couldn't figure out the math equation that he drunkenly scribbled? <laughs> I guess when you put it that way... When you... Like, did he ever actually figure out Project Extremis, or did he just write a bunch of math symbols on a card to look smart? Yeah, like, I also don't think that that would have been like, oh, you just plug this in and this fixes the telomere algorithm. It's like step one of a process. Oh, see, I thought the implication was he just completely solved the problem in his sleep that night and just left it there for her because he's a super genius Tony Stark. But either way, yeah. I, I, now I like the idea that he was just hung over and scribbled a bunch of math bullshit onto a card, and she's been spending the last ten years being like, what the fuck is this? That's a way better interpretation. <laughs> so Iron Patriot has a new mission. He's been sent to, like, there's a suspected Mandarin broadcast inside a sweatshop. Yes. And, like, all, all the people in the sweatshop, like, uh, go running out when he shows up. But then one of the workers is uh, an extremist soldier right. and she overheats the suit and the suit is disabled yeah. so now they got the iron patriots yeah it's mm, you're I, I feel like you're talking through this scene very fast because i don't mm, he it's a, like mm? yeah. okay <laughs> the iron patriot breaks into this room okay. it's like a factory i guess it's a bunch of they're making cheaply made yes, sportswear uh the, the it's a bunch of workstations with sewing machines it's a bunch of women in burkas working and they all start like cheering 
for him and then walking out and he's like oh yeah you're free if you weren't before i don't know what's happening and then the last woman in there whips her you know um face covering off and it's uh a project extremist lady Hmm. did you find something weird about this scene luke we joked a lot about how the war on terror just casually got one in iron man 2 i think i liked it better that way than uh when these movies just kept you think this is a bit weird (laughs) it's a bit weird It's a, it's a bit, bit weird. weird. But, like, th- this is still, like, also, even Rhodey is getting tricked by the narrative. Yes. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because, yeah, the-, the twist hasn't actually happened yet. We, like, we know that AIM was working with the Mandarin, but I feel like we kind of knew that from the start. Uh, like, just basic, the basic way movies work tells you that's what's going to happen. Um, but, yeah, Tony's driving along, and he is got uh, the kid on the line. He's got a little bit of power to the Iron Man suit so that Jarvis can talk. But Jarvis is still having some issues. He says it seems like he's ending all of his sentences with a random cranberry. (laughs) It's a decent goof. And Jarvis says he's pinpointed the Mandarin's broadcast signal. And Tony says, where are we talking? Far East? Europe? North Africa? Iran? Pakistan? Syria? Actually, sir, it's in Miami. That's like, that's not where you'd expect a terrorist to live. Right. Tony assumes that Jarvis is still messing up, you know, ending his sentences with random cranberries. So he just tells the kid to read him what's on the screen. And he's like, no, it's it's in Miami, Florida. (laughs) I like that he specifies Florida. (laughs) Yeah, you know. It's, oh, damn, it's in Miami, Montana. And, uh, yeah, Tony starts to have a panic attack again. I don't remember what actually sets this one off. I don't think, one thing I think they do right is I don't think every panic attack has, like, an explicit trigger. Sometimes it seems like it just hits him out of nowhere, which is more, like, accurate to how anxiety works, you know? Like, that's, that's a good call on their part. Well, I think it was that, like, he mentions that the suit isn't charging good because it's just plugged into, like, a regular outlet, uh-huh. and he freaks out at the idea that he's not going to be able to access the Oh, suit. you're right, you're right, yeah. But, yeah, still, yeah, that's good. Um, So, this kid says, like, hey, you said you were a mechanic, right? Why don't you build something? And, uh, you know, it's sort of inadvertently saying, like, hey, why don't you indulge in the thing you do to take your mind off anxiety? And that works for Tony. And he goes to a hardware store and just buys, like, two shopping carts full of crap and starts making the lowest, like... The, like, it's not even an, a low-rent Iron Man suit. It's just a bunch of gadgets he makes out of hardware store materials. And it's pretty good. I he's like got, it. Uh, he's got a glove. He's got a glove that has, like, a heating element on it. Or, or no, it's it's like a uh, live wire, isn't it? Something yeah, like it, it's some kind of hurt you thing. It's just like a he's mitten. He's got a yo-yo. Yeah, he's got a bunch of, like, uh, Christmas bulbs that he fills uh, with something explosive. Yeah, I like this. I like him... I wish this was in a Metal Gear game where you just go to the Home Depot and build makeshift gadgets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. So he does a stealth mission into the Miami mansion where the Mandarin is at. So Tony Stark comes across like a woman and a man who are arguing about the air conditioning and he zaps the guy with a zappy glove and takes his gun and the woman like intoxicatedly shoots finger guns at him. Yes. <laughs> which is a very Shane Black kind of scene. Sure, I wouldn't know. Um, and then he 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 walks into a room with like some computer equipment. It looks like they're editing video. Yeah. There's a bunch of like art and sculpture mm-hmm. in there, and he comes across a bed with uh, two women in it. And then as he's trying to take in what he's seeing, a toilet flushes behind him, and he hides behind the bed with the gun. And now it walks. The Mandarin, but he's got a British accent now. He's a Britishman, and he warns him not to go in there for 20 minutes. 
And he, like, is trying to impress them by giving the uh, fortune cookie trivia to them, but, like, he doesn't remember it right, so he's just, like, stumbling over his words. It's 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 a good, like, immediate reveal, like, that you start to get what's going on here. And, like, one of the women is, is trying to warn him that there's, like, a guy here that he's not really paying attention, but then Tony Stark points a gun at the Mandarin. Uh, yeah, and he, he chases the, the women into the bathroom, and uh, he makes this guy start talking, and he explains that his name is Trevor Slattery. He is a stage actor uh, and a drug addict, and he has been hired by AIM to play the role of the Mandarin for yeah, them. Yeah, they said they'd give me things. They gave me this palace. They gave me plastic surgery. They gave me things, and he falls yes, asleep. because he is a drug addict. I was saying, sometimes some drugs make you fall asleep. He explains Aldra Killian needed someone to take credit for accidental explosions. He needed someone with the pathology of a serial killer. The manipulation of Western iconography. Yeah, he sort of slips into the Mandarin voice for a, a second there. Uh, yeah, Ben Kingsley is a good actor. Yeah, yeah, he, he does a good job. Like I said, I do... I'm fine with him so far. I think Trevor starts to... Trevor starts to grate on my nerves a bit as the movie goes on. He's not in it that much more, but I, I get pretty sick of his shtick. I could watch Trevor all day. <laughs> but, uh, well... So he explains everything was costumes, green screen. He wasn't even on location for right. half of it. No one has actually been killed by the yes. Mandarin. And, uh... Yeah, then while he's explaining this, Savin shows up and knocks out Tony and starts asking Trevor what all he told him. He's like, no, nothing. Not, I didn't do anything, Dad. Uh, and Tony wakes up, strung up to a metal bed frame, but like vertically. And Maya's there. Yeah, and Maya's trying to convince him to help her finish Extremis because he almost got it 13 years ago. And that's what helped her almost get it, except she hasn't quite gotten it yet. Right, yeah. I, I think the idea is it does work better than it did back in those days, but not good still, obviously. Um, fucking AIM guy. I'm incapable of knowing names. Bad Justin Hammer walks in. Less fun Justin Hammer. And uh, he starts explaining that he's here to thank Tony for giving him the gift of desperation up on that rooftop. Because that inspired him to do all the incredible things he's done since that day. Um, and he's here to give Tony that same gift. Because he has Pepper hostage and is injecting her with the extremist goop. Oh, now why is he doing that? Because that is going to force Tony to help them perfect the formula, or else Pepper's gonna die. Maybe. Or she'll just get cool firepowers. It's a toss-up. Who knows? So, Aldrich's little speech is, As I looked out over that city, nobody knew I was there. No one could see me. No one was even looking. And I had a thought that would guide me for years to come. Anonymity, Tony. Thanks to you, it's been my mantra ever since. You simply rule from behind the scenes. Because the second you give evil a face... A Bin Laden, a Gaddafi, a Mandarin. You hand the people a target. Yeah. It's it's a good speech about the idea behind the Mandarin. Um, and uh, before he came in, Tony had this conversation with Maya where he was trying to explain that she was like selling his soul, selling her soul for all this. And he was like starting to get through to her. So at this point, uh, Maya takes out one of the weird injection things they use and holds it to her own neck explaining that it's enough to overdose and kill her, and uh, he needs her alive uh, to help with the project, because what if one day he starts to burn too hot and he explodes? That would be a bad thing. 
and he just laughs and shoots her. And again, I guess Extremis doesn't work very good on her because one bullet kills her. I don't think she's on Extremis. Okay, you know what? You're totally right. In my head, I was thinking, wait, why did that kill her? But no, you're right. There's never a point where they show her on the drug. Okay, I'm good with it then. Never mind. Complete rescinded. The point is, ever since that big dude with the hammer fell out of the sky, subtlety has kind of had its day. Uh, so Aldrich just leaves Tony here to sulk slash, I guess, think about joining him. Uh, meanwhile, they have captured the Iron Patriot. They have him strung up in some other dungeon and are trying to cut Rhodey out of the suit so that they can use it for their plan. And he's not wanting out of there. So Aldrich walks up and starts using his hand to melt through the suit. And they're talking about how uh, they're going to damage the armor. But, um, you know, they're going to fix it. Whatever. I guess that's not actually a problem. I mean, they don't need it to, like, fly. They don't. Right. That is true. But, I mean, there's just a weird bit of dialogue where Savin says, like, Oh, you're going to break the suit. And Aldrich says, yes, I will. But you can fix it, right? I like that they killed Maya. Yeah, they didn't need to kill Maya. You're right. I agree. That was, yeah. Why'd they kill her? That's another Shane Black thing is that he, you know, his movies aren't good about the female character. Even though this movie passed the Bechdel test, so it's not sexist. Right, it's not sexist, so we can't complain about it, actually. Because we're cutting back to Tony first. Who, uh, his, his door of the Explorer watch starts to beep. Because I guess he set a timer on it. Because he explains to these two uh, random goons that he is about to kill them. Even though he's still tied up and they have guns. They break the door of the Explorer watch. And Tony's like, aww. That no, that wasn't even mine. Come on. And then Tony just goes, that's why I'm going to do this. And he just kind of like jiggles his hands around. <laughs> expecting the Iron Man suit to fly onto his hands. And nothing happens. Right. He, he can send the signal to Tennessee, but it's going to take a minute. Yeah. So now we cut back. Rhodey jumps out of the suit, starts punching Savin. And then, uh, and then, uh, <laughs> Aldrich, Aldrich just breathes fire out of his mouth. And Rhodey's reaction is about the same as mine, which is like, wait, what? Excuse me? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't think he does that anytime else in the movie, does he? Or does he do it during the final fight? Okay. Uh, Aldrich gives a little speech about how he's about to have the world's most feared terrorist in one hand and the most powerful country on the other and just own supply and demand for you and your brothers and sisters. Meanwhile, Tony's still threatening to kill these guys, but the Iron Man isn't coming fast enough. And he just looks like a real, real dingus. He asks the ponytail guy the mileage count between Tennessee and Miami. <laughs> he just knows it. He's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm good like that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I want to know more about that guy. Did he, like, go to school for geography and somehow this was the only job he could get in this economy? In this economy. But, uh, finally, the, one of the gloves flies in and he shoots one of them and that, like, that's, the recoil is enough to break the zip tie. Uh, and then one of the boots also comes in, so he kicks him. Uh, but none of the rest of the suit comes out because it's all locked up in the garage of the kid's house. Right, Harley has to unlock the garage and then they start flying out. Now, let's talk about the physics uh -huh. of this for a second. Because the rest of this fight scene is, is pretty much taking place in real time, right? Sure, yeah, 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 100%. So it flies from Tennessee to Miami in, like, less than two minutes. Yeah, I mean, let's, uh... 
I'm, I'm going to try and figure out, because uh, I don't remember how far the distance that that uh, henchman said, but let's see, to Miami, Florida is uh, bu- 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 832, 832 miles. miles. Okay, so 832 miles in, what do you, what would you say, 30 seconds? Let's say, let's say two minutes. Let's be generous. So that's uh, four, about 400 miles per minute. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is about 24,000 miles per hour. And what's the speed of sound? Uh, let's see. Speed of sound is is uh, 767 miles per hour. They are going uh, a, close to four times the speed of sound. That's pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, they're very fast. He's a good, he's a very good engineer is the thing. Okay. Maybe this isn't happening in real time. Maybe that was a flashback to a, you know, a little bit ago. No, it happens in real time. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Tony is taking out these guys with his gun and his leg. Yeah, and again, like we were saying earlier, he is never in full Iron Man wear for this entire movie. He's always got some weird uh, disadvantage he's got to work around, and it makes all the action in this movie really cool. Yeah. Uh, he confronts one guy who just immediately surrenders his gun and says, honestly, I hate working here. They are so weird. That line I felt thought was a little too, like, uh, like no, you went too far on trying to like have a nice little quip. Sure. Anyway, the rest of the suit appears, and Tony is outside. He can see that the Iron Patriot suit is flying into the air, but Rhodey's not in it. Instead, Rhodey is try- is busting out on his own, doing his soldier stuff. And uh, they meet up, and together manage to find uh, fucking Terrence again. Trevor, whatever. <laughs> uh, he is watching soccer, and uh, while they're interrogating him at gunpoint, he does at one point just uh, break out into cheering for the soccer team, which is pretty good. As you do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he basically goes on to say, like, he doesn't know all that much, but he knows that uh, it's something with the president and the vice president, Air Force One. I don't know, man. They don't tell me anything. So they decide they need to get, you know, up the coast. And luckily, he mentioned he owns a speedboat, which, again, it's not... I don't think speed go. I don't think speedboats go twenty four thousand miles an hour. I understand they are speedboats. What do you mean? I mean, where are they going? I guess they. Do, where are they going? They don't really say, do they? They're just going like up the coast. All right, that, no, that's fair. I guess in my head they were going up to like Washington or something, but no, that doesn't. There's no reason to think that. No, they'd have to like cross through the Panama Canal. Right. That's my point. Wait. Wait. What? Chris. What? <laughs> Why would you have to cross through? Oh, I thought you meant Washington, D.C. Why would you have to cross in the Panama Canal to go from, like, the west coast of Florida to the west coast of Maryland? I guess I don't know if Miami's on the west. Is Where's Miami? What's geography, Crystal? Oh, oh, right. They are in Miami. I thought they were in Los Angeles. No, you're right. No, they are in Los Angeles. Wait, no, they're in Miami. They're in Miami, Florida. <laughs> Remember we made fun of how they called out that it was specifically Florida? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway, we're no one knows any geography on this podcast. That's not what you're tuning in for. If you know anything about where any place is, get the fuck out. Uh, so Tony Stark tries to warn the vice president, and the vice president's like, yeah, thanks for warning me. I'll handle it. And then he goes to enjoy Christmas uh, with his family, including his granddaughter, who is an amputee. You're right. He's like, oh, thanks for the warning. You know, we'll get to the safe room. And he walks over to, like, put a hand on the shoulder of his, yeah, granddaughter or whatever. And then the camera pans down menacingly to show her amputated leg. Now, Luke, this strikes me as a bit exploitative. It strikes me as a bit exploitative, too. And again, if you... 
I have a disability or in some way feel qualified to talk about how this movie portrays disability, right in. I would love to hear a like educated opinion about this because I don't know how to feel about it. But I'm I'm comfortable saying I don't feel good about the granddaughter thing. It's having a disability is so terrible that I'm willing to betray the entire country to give my granddaughter a leg. See, I I'm and again, ugh, this isn't our place to really talk about, but I feel a little better about this than the other stuff because it's not the granddaughter doing any of this. It's someone doing it on doing something she never asked for on her behalf. Yeah, but I think you're you are supposed to sympathize with him. Yeah. Like, obviously, he's going too far. Right. He's a villain. But, like, I was like, oh, it's my granddaughter. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I guess when I was watching it, I just took it as, like, oh, fuck, they have, like, a point of leverage over the vice president because he has a motivation to want to to want them to succeed. But, yeah, I yeah, again, I don't know how to feel about it. Um, but, anyway, Iron Patriot with, uh, it's Tavis inside, right? Yeah. Uh, he lands and salutes... Whatever. (laughs) I can't name things. I've got name blindness. Uh, The president salutes him. It's like, oh, hey, good to see you, Rhodey. And uh, no one thinks it's weird that the Iron Patriot is completely silent and just salutes and walks up. It's like, oh, that's normal, I guess. That's fine. You know those hero types. Can we talk a bit about President Ellis? Yeah, we should. Here's my theory based on data collected throughout the MCU. Okay, because if I remember right, Obama was in office during Iron Man 1, right? Didn't we talk about that during Iron Man 1? No, they didn't mention who was the president in Iron Man 1. They have talked about Obama in Luke Cage. Okay, which is canon with the MCU. So here, here's my working model. Okay, go. Obama was elected in 2008, and his running mate was uh, Warren Ellis. Okay. And then at some point in early 2012, he stopped being the president okay. for unknown reasons. Okay. And uh, President Ellis succeeded him. And then he was elected for the first time in 2012 and elected for the second time in 2016. Okay. So... Do they refer to President Ellis before 2012 in the timeline of the MCU? Well, like, you're saying that you think Obama, for whatever reason, stopped being president. Like, well, why is that your theory as opposed to, like, Warren Ellis just won, like, ran against Obama and won? Oh, because in Luke Cage, they reference Obama singing Al Green, which happened in early 2012. I see. Okay. But the election happened in 2012. So, like, it could have been that the Republicans elected... Like, nominated, like, President Ellis over, like, Mitt Romney, right? See, the thing is, this is Christmas 2012. That's when this movie is set. Right. Okay, so he would, okay, right. Yes. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, that's the only way it could happen then. All right, yeah, I I stand by your theory. Glad we figured it out. That's our working theory until something contradicts it. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Uh, Tony and Rhodey are on a speedboat trying to get close to Air Force One, which is in the air. Tony's got a car battery hooked up to the Iron Man suit. Okay, I have a question. Wasn't the whole idea that the arc reactor in Tony's chest is what powers the Iron Man suit? So what? Why is it out of power, this whole movie? What am I missing? And I guess, you know, if I wanted, like, my internal explanation was, well, maybe it's like, that was how the Mark, you know, one or two worked, but now these are much more powerful suits that need to be, you know, charged up and can't just be powered on the fly by the arc reactor in his chest. Like, yeah, there's explanations. 
And also this is, and like also maybe the final version of the suit would use the arc reactor to charge it, but this is an unfinished prototype. Yeah, that's also fair. That's also fair. Uh, but Iron Patriot on the airplane uh, shoves uh, the secret serviceman into the passenger cabin and closes the door and then uses his fire powers to melt the knob, which means that there's no escaping now. And he goes into the president's room and starts killing people. He, like, grabs the president by the throat, and he's like, Pleasure to meet you, Mr. President. And the president's like, If you're gonna do it, do it. And he's like, Whoa, cool your boots, sir. You know, that's that's what's going on. Because uh, they're not just gonna... They're not just trying to assassinate the president. They're trying to make a spectacle out of it. Yeah, they're trying to kidnap the president at this juncture. Uh... So, let's see. I, again, fuck iTunes. At this point, they, they've they packed the president into the Iron Patriot suit, and uh, Tavin has <laughs> this pilot's hat. I can't tell if it's supposed to be a very bad disguise or if he just felt like wearing a, pi- a pilot's hat. <laughs> and I kind of want to, I think he did, and I love him for it. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, the the Iron Man suit gets onto the plane, and he has a little fight with Savin, but Savin detonates an explosive on the plane, and everyone falls out of the big hole. But then Iron Man kills Savin with the Unabeam. Yep, and unfortunately, my favorite character in this movie is not in the movie anymore, and I'm very sad. Hope he's chewing gum and wearing pilot hats in heaven. Well, there wasn't a silhouette left behind, so I guess he went to hell, actually. Anyway, yeah, so now we get, like, a good action set piece where Iron Man has to save a bunch of people that are in free fall in the air. Yeah, this is a really cool superhero It is, and, you know, something... I don't know if we've talked about it that much. A lot of superhero movies don't... They forget to have, like, rescuing scenes. I think Marvel movies are actually pretty good about it, usually. But, like, this is the stuff that makes them, like, superheroes and cool. Where they rescue just ordinary folks. Yeah, modern superheroes are often usually portrayed like action heroes, but they also need to, you know, save people directly. So, yeah, I definitely appreciate this scene is in the movie. Uh, Iron Man is just flying through the air, catching... He, like, catches the flight attendant... And then he's doing this thing, he explains to her, he needs her to reach out and grab somebody, and then he's going to send an electrical, like, pulse through her body so that she can't loosen the grip on her hand? Yeah, she definitely can't hear that. No, not at all. God, no. <laughs> a, A, she can't hear that. B, that seems like it'd be bad. Oh, it does seem like it'd be bad. It seems like it might fuck up their hands. Um, I'll take fucked up hands over dying, you know? <laughs> Okay, sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, he manages to go around. Everyone collects everyone else. He makes a fat joke about the one overweight guy he's trying to save because, you know, movies got to have a, a joke making fun of the fat guy. And, uh, yeah, he, like, manages to grab them all and pull up and then drops them all into the middle of the river near a boat. Or maybe the ocean? I don't know. Near some water. Probably the ocean. They were on the ocean. Yeah, they all made it. Tony's, like, flying away after he's making sure everyone's safe. And the suit gets hit by a truck and falls apart into pieces. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, At which point we find out that Tony was never even there. He was wearing the the helmet thing from earlier on. I love this joke every single time they do it. I like the one in in Spider-Man where they reverse it, where Spider-Man's like, no, I figured it out. You're not even fucking in there. And then he just takes the mask off and he's there. But I meant more specifically a joke where the suit just, like, falls apart. So that suit is now broken beyond repair. So now uh, Tony activates the house party protocol and starts summoning all the suits that were still in his lab in his house. Right. They, they've moved away enough rubble that this, like, big old door into the, the gro- like, the lab can uh, open up. Uh, 
Aldrich is still injecting Pepper with uh, that good extremist goop. And uh, it seems like, I mean, she's not exploding, so that's good. It seems like she's in pain. It does seem like she's in pain. I mean, they did say that, like, regardless, this process is extremely painful, even if your body accepts it. Um, And uh, Aldrich explains that on one hand, she is here to motivate Tony Stark to force him to help them. But uh, he also says having you here is not just to motivate Tony Stark. It's, uh, you know, well, <laughs> and she goes, oh, I'm I'm here as a trophy. And he goes, mm, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, you got it. You get it. There was a there was a Bechdel test in this movie. It's not sexist. Don't worry about it. I let you talk to my female henchman for like one whole scene. Don't it's fine. Uh, it sucks. Then the Iron Patriot comes in and opens up and the president's inside and he just collapses. I like that this movie keeps using Iron Man suits as a way to restrain people. This movie is is pretty clever about the Iron Man suits. Yeah, it like thinks about the Iron Man suit as an object and the interesting things you can do with it to create like novel action, even though it's been in three movies already. Um, but yeah, we find out that we are at... Uh, the docks where there is a an oil tanker that had a giant oil spill a few years ago and this president was specifically complicit in like making sure that the people responsible for it didn't get punished and uh you know uh, aldrich is explaining all this and the president just says like yeah well, what do you even want from me huh and aldrich kind of looks at him like no i don't actually care about this issue it's just gonna look good on tv when i say i do don't worry about it man I'm going to kill you. Anyway, let's get to it. I, I appreciate this. He mentions that he's found himself a new political patron. And by this time tomorrow, he'll have your job. So Rhodey and Tony, they've gotten on the oil tanker. And they got they got the guns. And the president is strung up in the Iron Patriot suit. Like in full view with lights on him so everyone can see him. Right, like ropes around his wrists just holding him up like 50 feet in the air. It's, uh, it's definitely an image they are trying to, you know, build here. Of just, uh, you know, yeah, the President of the United States and, like, the biggest symbol of the United States' power being murdered by exploding a bunch of oil to burn him to death. Like, they're making some real good TV. And like I said, it's, it's, it's an interesting idea that they are deliberately using all of this, like, politically loaded imagery, even though they don't actually care about it. It's, a, it's an idea that I, I like it conceptually. And I don't think they do it wrong here, but I do, part of me does wish that it got expanded a little more. Um, and I'm not sure exactly even what I would want to see, but I, I feel like I just want like a little more of a shove somewhere in this movie to really like drive all this stuff home and really like make a really clear point about what this movie's about, you know? But I like it. I don't know. I think it's clear enough that the war on terror is a scam. Sure. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. So Tony and Rhodey are like doing action hero things, shooting guns, and Tony's bad at shooting guns because he can't aim and he asks for extra ammo. And Rhodey's like, the clips aren't universal. <laughs> right. I do like that. For the first time in any movie ever, he's like, no, not. You understand that, like, not all bullets fit into all guns, right? We have two different guns, my dude. <sighs> It's a, it's a good joke. But Tony mentions that he's calling backup. But what is the backup, Luke? Oh, it's the house party protocol, Crystal, because every Iron Man suit he's built flies in to swarm this dock. 
and start taking dudes out. And uh, this is kind of where the core of this action set piece starts, which I really like, which is that Tony just keeps jumping off of ledges into Iron Man suits and then fighting for a little bit till that suit gets fucked up and then like ditching out of it and jumping into another one. It's a really cool idea. They really have, they haven't really done anything else like this since. It's it's a really cool idea for a climax in an Iron Man movie. Yeah, and like they're, they're fighting all the extremist soldiers and they seem to be fairly evenly matched. Like the Iron Man suits are winning overall, but he is like losing them slowly. Yeah, it's whittling down, but he's got, you know, 40 some odd Iron Man suits. So, you know. Yeah, he, they're fighting off all the extremist guys, and at some point, um, Aldrich starts getting into this fight, and he's got a lot of firepower, literally. <laughs> I made a good joke. So, uh, you know, he's melting a lot of Iron Man suits. But Tony just keeps throwing money at him. Basically, yeah. Yeah, he keeps throwing <laughs> money at him until he hopes he wins. Uh, Rhodey like climbs out to the war machine suit because he can't use any of the iron man suits um he does just grab the wrist of the suit and shoot one of the ropes which does make me think the war machine suit is just fully functional and the i guess it's not coded for the president so he can't use it never mind i'm good complaint rescinded but yeah he manages to save the president and get into the iron patriot slash war machine suit yeah this is actually a really cool brody does hasn't before this and after this he hasn't actually gotten like a ton of good action scenes so this this scene where like he works his way up to the president with just his regular ass gun and then saves him and shoots the rope and gets the suit back is actually pretty awesome yeah it's cool Tony just keeps fighting in a bunch of different Iron Man suits against Aldrich. Eventually, uh, he gets in a spot where he's cornered and it looks like he's lost. But then he calls in the, you know, Mark 42 pieces that are still just barely alive and fly in onto uh, Aldrich instead and pin him to a wall. And then he has it self-destruct. And it's a cool thing. It's a cool thing to do to a man is explode him with your metal armor. Yeah. But even that doesn't kill him. <laughs> right. It seems for a bit like, oh, hey, day saved. Now we're going to go rescue Pepper. Everything's great. Pepper does fall apparently to her death. She falls off a huge ledge into a fiery inferno. Tony tries to save her at some point, but she accidentally like burns his suit, I think. Or no, no, that's not. That's Aldrich. Never mind. Uh... Aldrich finally seems like he's got Tony pinned. He's all messed up. He's regenerating, but it's gross. Yeah, he's becoming a real fing-fang-foom. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll take your word for it. And then uh, a lead pipe hits his head, and it turns out Pepper did not die because she's all extremist up. Yeah, she's just got regenerating powers now, and she saved Tony. And she's all now she's all fiery and i think she beats up aldrich for a bit but itunes won't let me know well so like one of the one of the iron man suits like flies towards them and the iron man suit uh doesn't know that pepper isn't a target so she like jumps into the air punches through the heart of the iron man suit (laughs) and like slams it to the ground yeah and she is just like wearing one arm of an iron man suit that she i think she shoots him with it's very cool it's a good looking action scene yeah she kicks like a, a a shell at aldrich and then shoots it with the iron man repulsor and that blows him up right yeah it's pretty good wow that was really violent <laughs> yeah, right that's tony's line oh no that's her line that's her line yeah yeah there is some bit during this like when he thinks pepper is dead that all just like sorry tony but you never deserved her anyway and tony's like you're right i didn't deserve her you know and yeah you know tony's growing as a person that's good 
Yeah. Um, and yeah, the day is saved. Who's the hot mess now? What? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So we get kind of the denouement. Uh, it goes back to Tony's narration. Pepper and Tony have a conversation on the oil tanker. Pepper's like, I think you understand why you don't want to give up the suits now. And then, like, they have a conversation like, I, I, I can fix your extremis. Because she's kind of freaked out by having the extremis. She did not choose to have this. It was forced on here. But Pepper's like, how are you going to fix me when you have all your distractions? And Tony says, I'm going to shave him down a little bit. And he blows up all the suits. Right. Oh, right. He blows them all up and they all turn into, like, fireworks. Because it's, it's Christmas Eve. Um, and yeah, we, yeah, like, so we get a voiceover about creating our own demons again, you know, and like, we're seeing the vice president get arrested, uh, Trevor get arrested, uh, and he's like, you know, treating all the media like they're adoring fans and that kind of thing. Um, and then we see that, uh, Tony has decided to get the shrapnel out of his heart. So I'm, this was an option. No, I think it's because of the extremists that this became an option. This whole epilogue is kind of rushed. It's very rushed, and I it needs to not be, because like I said, my biggest issue with this movie is that all these different ideas don't, like, dovetail together in a satisfying way, and this epilogue, this, like, ending narration could be a way to make that happen, and it's just a lot of disconnected ideas still. He's like, you know, we give up a lot of things. I got Pepper sorted out, and then I thought, why stop there? I got, um, I got my chest fixed. Um, yeah, so yeah, he no longer has chest shrapnel. You start with something pure, something exciting. Then come the mistakes, the compromises. And Dr. Wu, the important character, Dr. Wu, takes the shrapnel out of his chest. Oh, is he? Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> See, if those doc- maybe that's the problem. Maybe it just needs those Dr. Wu scenes. The Dr. Wu scenes really tie the movie together. Right, you'd have like a bookend. <laughs> Because I didn't even realize that was the same guy. <laughs> uh, Happy wakes up in the hospital and is like gasping and pointing and the nurse is trying to keep him calm. But uh, the joke is that he's gasping and pointing because Downton Abbey is on. And Tony says, so if I were to wrap this up, tie it with a bow or whatever, I guess I'd say my armor was never a distraction or a hobby. It was a cocoon. And now I'm a changed man. You can take away my house, all my tricks and toys. One thing you can't take away... I am Iron Man. So what do you think about that ending line? That ending, like, little monologue that you just read? I think it's good. I don't at all. Because, again, like, the thing in this movie is that working on all those Iron Man suits was a way of him to cope with his, like, anxiety and PTSD. And it was, like, at times portrayed as an unhealthy coping mechanism. And then it's just like, yeah, but I'm better now. It's fine. I'm Iron Man. That's cool. Anyway, see you losers later. I gotta go home and play more Animal Crossing New Leaf on my 3DS. But I don't think it was ever portrayed as a healthy coping mechanism. No, no, I... What I'm saying, coping mechanism, I mean it in, like, an unhealthy way. Like, yeah, but he's just kind of like, yeah, but it was fine. You know, it, 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 it wasn't... It was a cocoon, and I've evolved, and I'm better now. Like, I almost... They wouldn't... I don't think they would ever do this. The scene I wanted in this ending montage was him, like, in a therapist waiting room. Because that's what he needs. Yes. But, like, they won't do that. Because I think... There's a weird stigma about therapy, and Tony Stark's a cool guy action hero, and he doesn't need therapy. He just needed to work through... See, he's... Like, I don't like the implication that... And I think future movies are going to dispel it a bit, but, like, he certainly doesn't have panic attacks in Age of Ultron, you know? No. At least not that I remember. 
Uh, and I, I don't like... To me, I think the movie is almost suggesting that because he worked through the ish, the challenges of this movie, he's gotten over his anxiety disorder, which is not how anxiety disorders work. Right. And that, I think, yeah, the future movies show he is still on, that's still ongoing. And yeah, I don't remember a lot from Ultron or, or other movies of Iron Man and him coming up. Is there ever a, like even like a shot of him like taking up anxiety pill or something? Because man, should that, he should. He has like, he has like debilitating panic attacks in this movie. And then it just sort of transitions into him making bad choices because he has anxiety. Like they're, that's not the same thing as being prone to panic attacks, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. That included in this montage would be a scene of Tony going to a therapist and also picking up pills at a pharmacy. <laughs> I don't think you need both of those, but you need like a shot that suggests he is doing, because there's even like dialogue in this movie about how he probably needs medical help for his panic disorder. It should be a scene of him like, you know, get like stealing himself and going it like doing one of those two the scenes, something to suggest he's actually getting help for his problem instead of, well, I went through the narrative arc of a feature film and that means I'm a better person than I used to be. So, I mean, I'm not totally fixed, but I'm, I'm better now. No more panic attacks for me, Tony Stark. It's not like, it, it is not a horrible problem with this movie, but it is an issue I have with it. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too nitpicky. No, I think you're right. Yeah. So yeah, uh, having gone through this, what what are your feelings about this movie now? Uh, I think I feel about the same, actually. Yeah. Like I said, I'm still, this is my first time forming an opinion about this movie. I think the action is really good in it. Um, some of the best they've done in any of these movies. Um, I think the idea behind the bad guy is really good. I think the idea behind Tony Stark's character arc is really good. I think the stuff with the Iron Patriot is really good. But I think they're all really good ideas. And like in, if I look at each of them like individually, I'm like, oh, that's a cool idea. I like that. You're, you're doing the right things. But it still feels a little disjointed to me. There's not like a moment where Tony's character arc and the plot of the movie like slam together and like make a satisfying resolution to each. They kind of just get resolved individually, which I guess is fine, but it's not, I don't know. There's something, there's like a, there's, there's something here, not here that I wish there was. And I have a hard time putting my finger on exactly what that is. Uh, well, I guess if I were to write an essay, an apology of Iron Man 3, uh, it would be that both Tony Stark and the United States government have bought into narratives. And the narrative that Tony has bought into is that he and the suit are one, which is a line he said in the previous movie. And what he realizes here is that the suit is just a suit. It's him who is the Iron Man. Because all throughout this movie, he has never had the suit at 100%. He does a lot of scenes in this movie that are just him yeah I, I think that's an interesting take on this movie um i think this is probably a movie i'm gonna have to keep thinking about and thinking through um like i said for now i would say it's 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 a pretty good movie i think i would definitely call it the best iron man movie um what letter grade would you give this movie i think i would give this movie a b hmm okay what did we give we gave avengers a b plus right Okay. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'm like between B and B minus for this one. And I'm trying to decide which side of that fence I fall on. Because it is better than Iron Man 1, but I'm I'm still wobbling on whether I think... Yeah, yeah, I think I can go with B. Is it way better than Iron Man 1 or is it just a little bit better than Iron Man 1? <sighs> I would say it is... Hmm. 
I think it's a medium amount better than Iron Man 1. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what I'd say as well. If Thor was like, if we were doing full on like percentages, if Iron Man 1 was like an 80, like just barely a B minus, and Thor was like an 87, then this movie is like an 84, you know? Like it's it's on the it's on the line of B and B minus, but I, I think I can go with B. So we are still ranking it below Thor. I would rank it below Thor, would you? Yes. Okay. So we are still in perfect agreement. <laughs> we have Creed uh, seven times in a row on this podcast, the premise of which was we're gonna yell and argue about the Marvel movies. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so far we completely we have minor disagreements, but overall agree on each of them. Hey, just goes to show you we're not so different after all. So to recap, here are the current rankings. Okay. Number one, the Avengers. Okay. Number two, Thor. Okay. Number three, Iron Man 3. Yep. Number four, Captain America, the first Avenger. Okay. Number five, Iron Man. Yep. Number six, Iron Man 2. Uh-huh. Number seven, The Incredible Hulk. The total GPA for phase one, 2.667. The total GPA for Iron Man, 2.667. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That, um, that, that sounds about right to me. Yeah. The total GPA for the series so far, 2.714. For, for us? For like you and me? Or are you saying once you factor Iron Man 3's grade into the overall GPA? That's correct. We should rate ourselves how good a job we're doing. I think we get A pluses. Me too. <laughs> Hooray! 4.0! Anyway, do we have any questions, Crystal? Where can people send us questions, Luke? Uh, they can send us questions to mcucompleteme at gmail.com. Uh, usually on days we record, you will also just tweet out in all caps, send me questions about whatever movie we're doing. Uh, so yeah, you should follow you on Twitter at Arcane Crystal. What do we got? Okay, first question comes in from uh, Tim. Is every major character coping with some issue of identity? Answer, yes. I mean, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. What's Pepper's issue with identity? I mean, I don't know. Not She doesn't really have one. So I guess the answer is no. Her arc in this movie is that her boyfriend has a crippling anxiety disorder that he refuses to get treated. Right, he refuses to get treated, and she honestly is not prepared to, through no fault of her own, not prepared to help him cope with it uh, as he spirals into codependency with her, which, and she's trying to figure out how she can love him while also discouraging that horrible tendency. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess most of them have identity issues, but not her. Uh, let's see. What else we got here? Dan asks, what if we're the Iron Man? What does that mean? <laughs> You're not giving me much here. <laughs> we're, uh, we're both, you know, I mean, maybe, hmm, maybe you and me, Crystal, are both parts of a suit of armor. But what do we attach on to? I don't, I don't know. I think the answer is no, we're not the Iron Man. No, I don't think we are. I mean, I do have crippling anxiety issues, so I can relate on that front, but, you know. We've got to talk about the post credit scene, where instead of going to a real therapist, uh, Tony Stark <laughs> just tries to talk to his good friend Bruce Banner. I did actually forget that to even, like, check for a post credit scene. I forgot that was a gimmick of these movies. No, I forgot to watch it. What happens? So, well, the framing, you remember in the beginning of the movie when Tony Stark was telling a story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, I'm watching it now. Oh, and he's like on a couch like it is therapy oh right and bruce banner fell asleep because okay bruce banner says like i'm not that kind of doctor please god just go see a therapist please <laughs> okay no, hmm i mean that's a funny joke but also <laughs> don't lampshade him going to a therapist just have him actually go to a therapist yeah have that be like doc samson i don't know I, I mean i recognize that name i don't actually know what doc samson's deal is 
He's a therapist. He was Betty's husband. Or no, Reggie Hulk. Right. Okay. Oh, that guy. Right. That guy. Right. That guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anyone would have known who the fuck that was if they'd done that. So, you know, but, uh, all right, let's see here. What else we got? Um, all right. I guess we got to, I mean, we got the question crystal. So I guess we got to deal with it. Even though we both said we didn't want to from tank hammer is iron man three, a Christmas movie. How do you feel about, how do you feel about the concept of Christmas movies, crystal? Like, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of hay made about what is a, and is not a Christmas movie. I think if you're the kind of person who says, my favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard, you're an asshole and a piece of shit. I'm with you so far. I feel like Die Hard is the favorite Christmas movie of people who are too afraid of expressing earnest emotion. Yeah, you're not too cool for Christmas movies, I promise you. You're really not. It's fun to sit around and just watch Rudolph with, like, some kids and your extended family. Like, Luke, what's your favorite Christmas film? Hmm. I definitely have a lot of memories of watching Rudolph, and uh, I'm trying to remember other... Like, what other Christmas movies do I have in, like, my past? There's, like, the Santa Claus. It's not the Santa Claus, though. It's not... Nor is it the Santa Claus 2, the Escape Clause. Or no, that's three. The second one is the Mrs. Claus. Right, right, right. I have not seen the Escape Clause. Uh, what else is there? There's other Rankin-Bass movies, but, I mean, Rudolph is definitely the best of those. Um, it might just be Rudolph by default. I'm having a hard time thinking of a better one. What about you? My favorite is the 1984 adaptation of A Christmas Carol starring George C. Scott. That's cool. Although you did just remind me of Muppet Christmas Carol, which I think is my actual answer. Uh, but yeah, I might have to check out the version you're talking about. Um, Miracle on 34th Street is very hokey and corny, but it's charming. There's just an old man who says he's Santa, and a lawyer who's got to defend his right to be Santa. I like Fred Claus. I don't know if I've seen Fred Claus. I've heard of it. How do you feel about A Christmas Story? I don't care for it. I don't either. It's like a big, like, cult movie that people really like, and I do not care for it. It is deeply cynical in a way that I find off-putting. But, yeah, I mean, Iron Man 3 is certainly a movie that takes place at Christmas. Um, so I guess it depends on what your definition of Christmas movie is, is my answer. Because I don't feel like arguing. Uh, what else we got? Tank Hammer asks, How do you feel about the addition of a child sidekick adds to the movie? Is Tony more interesting using Home Alone tech or his nanotech magic? Um, I do think the Home Alone tech stuff is very good. I like that part. I still, I, I don't hate the idea of a kid sidekick in general. Um, my dad is someone that really hates Robin in Batman. And I, I don't agree with that. I think that like, A, superheroes are for kids first and foremost. And like being the cool kid that gets to hang out with the superhero is a cool thing. And like, just, I don't know, chill the fuck out. Yeah, why are all the movies ashamed of Robin? I don't know. Lego Batman movie is the only one that isn't and is like a weirdly scathing criticism of all the other movies that are. Have you seen the Lego Batman movie? I haven't. It's actually very good in a way you're not expecting. Because that entire movie is about, like, Batman thinking that he... Like, like the Batman in that movie really likes the dark, edgy conception of Batman. And he, like, is not cognizant of the fact that he is emotionally isolated and deeply sad because he's trying to live up to that image. And the whole movie is just about him having to learn how to love people. It's a good movie. That's that sounds very good. Uh, but yeah. Um, I, like I said, I so I like the idea of like a kid helping out in general. That's fine. Um, I don't especially like this specific kid. Although you said you do.
I, I honestly, he lost a lot of points for me when he just dropped his sad backstory about his dad leaving him out of the blue. And it was, he really never recovered. He never recovered that yardage for me. He was trying to, he was trying to squeeze some money out of the billionaire. <laughs> he is shown to be like a little trickster later on. Um, we did leave out like the, the coda on his story too, which he goes into that garage and Tony Stark at some point had some people break in there and outfit it with a bunch of cool tools and turn it into a cool workshop for him, which is that that's a sweet moment to end that character's plot on. I like that moment is completely, uh, this is from chum personable is completely changing everything about the Mandarin more good than it is bad. So can you explain what the Mandarin's deal is aside from being an offensive Chinese stereotype? Because I don't actually know what his story is in the comics. Uh, he has 10 magic rings from space. Each one has its own power. It's like the Infinity Stones, but not. I mean, you could do a cool story about that if you found a way to get past the whole problem with him. I, I like the way they went. I think it was a good call. Yeah, I like it. I don't know. It's Mandarin seems hard to do, but mm. they also did M'Baku, and he was very good. Is he? Who's he? He's uh from Black Panther. Oh, okay. I have not seen that movie yet, although I've heard it's a good movie. Oh, you mean um um uh Killmonger or someone else? No. I mean someone else. Okay. I just figured bad guy from Black Panther. Okay. His uh comics uh name is The Man Ape. Oh, Okay. <laughs> so you see why some people might be, uh... Yeah, uh-huh. I see. I understand. <laughs> hmm. All right. What else, what else we got? Sky asks, do you think the idea of a disabled hero would have worked better for another character? If so, why? The most MCU-relevant example I can think of offhand is Hawkeye being deaf. Speaking personally, I think the idea of a hero who manages spoons or has panic attacks could be very compelling, but feels cheesy and unearned as is. I don't know if it feels cheesy and unearned. Um, I do... It, it They play it very big, but... Um, I don't think that's necessarily bad. Um, I do, again, think that it's, you know, a little bit of an issue where it's just like, he has this problem, but now he's gone through a narrative arc and now it's better, um, which I don't care for. Uh, I, this is something I did not know until pretty recently. I did not know that comics Hawkeye was deaf. That seems like something, yeah, yeah, why not? Why cut that out of the character for the movies? Make a Hawkeye movie, yeah. Yeah, make a Hawkeye movie. Um, instead of... I'm still... I was thinking the other day again about how fucking shoehorned in he is into Thor. Where he just stands on that crane with his bow drawn and never actually does anything in the whole movie. Where you could cut every line of dialogue he has out and it would change nothing. Yeah, it's no good. Um, yeah, that's the other thing, too, that we, we didn't really touch on. Because, again, this movie kind of talk you know has stuff about disability in it but other than the very last scene which feels kind of out of nowhere uh there's not any like parallels drawn between the disability the extremist people are healing and like tony's stuff you know either his like heart condition or his emotional disabilities yeah no it's it's definitely a theme of the film but i don't think it's very well tied together it's almost more of like a motif than a theme like it's not i don't know what it's necessarily saying about disability you know other than some people have them i guess you know i i agree that i don't think i don't think 
it's cheesy and unearned. I think it could have been done better. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's it is done better than it could have been done, but there was still room to do it better. Gwen asks, aside from fitting with some Marvel canon, why did War Machine turn into Iron Patriot for one movie, then turn back for his next appearance? What do you think? So they have new toys. Oh, oh, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. If I'm being, if I'm trying to be less cynical than that, I can see it as like this movie has a lot of themes about like you know performative patriotism and you know American xenophobia and stuff. And Iron Patriot serves the needs of that narrative while not really being like they spend the whole movie talking about how lame Iron Patriot is. You know, so I, I can see it like it's it's a useful conceit for this movie, but not something they would want to keep permanently. Cass asks, Elton John doesn't really like lettuce. He's more of a rocket man. What do you have on bagels? And why does even Stark not buy gold foil bagels? What's your take on Rhodes rebranding to Iron Patriot? Okay. I think we just answered that part. Uh, I'm not sure what the Elton John part's about. Do you? No. Okay, cool. What do you have on bagels? Cream cheese. Yeah, that's same. Although I have had one. No. No, that was toast. Never mind. Bagels with cream cheese. Just do that. It's delicious. That's all you need. Um, we have talked before about how we really should, because it turns out gold foil is very cheap, even though you see all those videos about, like, this gold donut sold for $10,000. Like, why Why do we have the jobs we have? Let's just go fucking open up a golden, you know, salad business. Let's do it. All right. Okay. Where are we going to open it up at? Oh, San Francisco. Okay. Okay. That seems like a good call. Uh, what, what, what food do you want to encrust in cheap gold? Avocado. Oh, I see. I see. Go after that millennial dollar. I don't think millennials have any money, though. The tech boys do. Yeah, that's true. We're in, we're in San Francisco. Oh, wait. Soylent. 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 Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> All right. Let's get cracking. I guess we need to wrap this show up so we can go become uh, hundred thousandaires selling gold to idiots. Luke, where can people find you online? <laughs> they can find me online, I guess, at uh, SSJ Speed Racer on Twitter. Uh, they can listen to a bunch of other shows I do over on AudioEntropy.com, such as Totally Reprise, Teenage Latitude, uh, Home for Infinite Losers, and uh, they can also on Saturday nights at 9 p.m. Central. Go to bit.ly slash silverpines to hang out with us for Silver Pines, which is an RPG IGM for a bunch of other audio entropy hosts. It's fun. How about you? You can find me online at Arcane Crystal. You can find me on the Let's Plays podcast, where we scientifically and objectively rank every video game according to quality. Luke is on that as well. Yeah. You can find me on the Book of Medora podcast, where we uh, talk about the lore of all the Legend of Zelda video games. Luke, would you like to hear an Iron Man joke? Well, I guess I should say real quick before you do that, speaking of Let's Plays, if you're going to PAX West uh, this September, we are going to be doing a live panel for that show uh, Sunday night at 6 p.m. in the Sandworm Theater. So come, come watch us do that again. Anyway, yeah, give me now, Crystal. Let me ask you before you read this joke. Do you think they're going to make an Iron Man 4 ever? No. Okay, so this is the last Iron Man joke you're ever going to get to tell me. So it better be fucking good. Yeah, I made this one up all by myself. Oh shit, okay, hit me. What do you got? Why is Iron Man red? I don't know, Crystal. Why is Iron Man red? If he was green, he would die. (laughs) No one's gonna know what the fuck you mean, but I get it. (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) 